Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Big day for sports fans, especially if you're into that Dodgers-Giants thing. Game 5 tonight. And Tampa Bay Bucks, Philadelphia Eagles. we got the Thursday night football game for you. we got some sports last night. The Jazz wrapped up the preseason. Everyone's talking about Butler. Where is he going to fit in the rotation? They can't possibly not play him. We're going to hear from the... Jazz, a post game after the final preseason game of the year. Quinn Snyder will talk about Butler and uh, what he has seen from him. That's coming up. We're going to start you out, though, with a little BYU football this morning. Former BYU wide receiver Dylan Colley joining PK and I right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dylan, good morning. How are we doing? We're doing well. We're doing all right this morning. I'm curious. You know, we all make predictions and make picks. People want them. Nobody follows these contests. Nobody straight straight up. Forget the line. Straight up, nobody can really pick more than about seventy. If you're really red hot, seventy five percent of the winners. It's hard to pick a game before a game. But having said that, it was hard to pick that BYU game in the game after two possessions. They're up ten nothing, and there is no hint that they're going to be held to seven points the rest of the game and turn it over four times. And to the coaches, uh, A-Rod said this on TV, the amount of times that they lined up wrong or ran a play wrong for a play that they have practiced and lined up for plenty of times and run plenty of times, it, it was just uh, it was incredible that they, they messed up basic stuff they know. What do you think mm-hmm. turned that game around? Because at 10 nothing, there was no hint that stuff's coming. Yeah, I think ultimately right, what it comes down to is uh, I think BYU is just worn out. Um, and I think that comes with new territory, right? Uh, in order to put yourself in a position to be a, a top, top-tier football program, it just goes back to the fact that your bad days can't be uh, anywhere near as bad as, as your opponents, right, especially at that level. And so, um, you know, I I was at the game. Uh, I caught the I caught the second half of it, and you could just I mean to be honest, like it was the the receivers looked tired, uh, they looked worn out, um, had some struggles kind of covering themselves up, uh, and didn't really give Baylor the best opportunity. And so you know you hear about assignments and things like that, and it's those little things that really do make a difference. And you know. Uh, that's I think that was the biggest the biggest difference from what we've seen and uh, you just that's you got to be able to maintain it you got to be able to maintain it all season and you can't make mistakes like that in you know five six games in the season yeah it was almost like the law of averages caught up with them because they hadn't lost a fumble through yep. five games which is stunning that it was that and that's a large portion of the reason why they won and then they have the three fumbles which was a large portion of why they lost when you look at the turnover margin and losing that particular statistic 4-0 mm-hmm. and they were all devastating two created short fields for Boise yeah. and then one you look like you were going to maybe possibly get a touchdown you were driving and you know really would have made a difference so I can't say that it's an epidemic with them. I'm wondering, you know, was just that? Do you think it was just that one game? The ball got loose. They'll be more cognizant of it going forward, and they'll be able to get a handle on it. 
Yeah, I mean, once again, like you said, right, it's, it's the law of averages. How often does that happen to them? And over the last two seasons, how often does that happen to, to Peeney and uh, to Tyler, right? Um, they're generally, right, very, very secure running backs who don't lose the ball, um, you know, and through Jaron's first few games and obviously coming back from that injury, he, uh, you know, you, you haven't seen him make some of the decisions that he's made. And so, you know, that's that's all part of it's it's one game right now on the other hand i think we all saw exactly what boise state is capable of right for the first five games of the season they were only really a first half team and to be able to see all four quarters of boise state football again you realize why right they've been a top 25 team consistently throughout the last decade and have been a very good football program and i think uh this game for them was huge, and they kind of catch the catch the wind and can hopefully kind of keep on the the path that they were on from Saturday and, and playing extremely physical and playing that you know old school uh, Boise State football. When BYU uh, the announcement came and BYU is going to the Big Twelve, I uh, I started checking to see how often BYU had played some of these teams, how it had gone. It turns out for a lot of these teams in the Big Twelve, they've played them one or two times in bowl games. In the case of West Virginia, it was a regular season game, but it was one time mm-hmm. a neutral, you know, on the NFL field in Washington. Uh, there just isn't much history. So as much as you're starting to watch. You know how this season is going to go because it looks pretty good, although it won't be unbeaten. And so this game matters this season. How much are you looking forward to uh, BYU at Baylor just because it's the start of a new tradition and there really isn't much to build on there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it, it really does kind of give people an insight into what the new era of BYU football is, right? And the ability to go into Big 12 stadiums. And I think it's a huge kind of moment for. BYU and the Big 12 in the sense of the Big 12 gets to see what BYU truly brings to the table when they travel, right? Um, you know, you've kind of heard about it and you've seen it secondhand, but to see it now firsthand with them officially saying, hey, all right, now all eyes are on you from the Big 12's perspective and you're going to see, you know, uh, a very large amount of blue and white in that Baylor Stadium. Uh, and I think that's going to be kind of like that moment of like, okay, Right, this can be good football, but more importantly, right, BYU is going to travel and they're going to bring in the revenue necessary uh, to make this a good move. So that's it's, it's huge. Jaron Hall looks like he might be. I don't know if he's hesitant to run. If they've told him not to run because his injuries have occurred on runs. Uh, well, he's such a dynamic athlete that I think it's a shame and it will hurt BYU if he can't use his legs. Uh, so with that in mind, if he's hesitant or they've told him not to run, whatever it might be, would you consider going to Romney? It looks like Romney might be, I can't say it unequivocally, yeah. but he might be a better passer. Uh, I don't I don't think so. Okay. I think I think you, you stay with Jaron and obviously, right, the, the injury that occurred, it wasn't just a matter of Hey, we knocked you out of the, or you knocked the, you got the wind knocked out of him, right? Um, and so, you know, in order for him to be effective, and, and BYU knows this, the offensive staff knows this, right? He needs to be able to use both his his arm and his legs. And so, you know, that type of 
game plan is is huge. It's just a matter of ensuring that, hey, this is bigger than, you know, you need to go out and win games, and we need to win games. And so we need to use your feet. We need you to use your arm. And whatever we have to do from the mental side, right, because physically he's going to be taken care of. The, the guy puts in more work than anybody, and he's going to make sure he's 100% healthy, and the training staff is going to take care of him. But we need to make sure that he's locked in mentally to trust that he can use his legs. And they need to make that a part of the game plan. And that's the only way that we're going to be able to kind of keep people on on, on their toes. Um, both of those aspects are, of his game are so good that you can't just, you can't just replace him. Uh, you got you to keep rolling with him because I think it just shows a lot of trust in your game plan from the very beginning and not hitting the panic button just because one game down, right? Well, the other thing is, even if he can't or doesn't or shouldn't run, whatever, the defense doesn't know that. I mean, the threat of him running is worth something, whether he runs or not, isn't it? Absolutely. No question. But you do need to be able to see it, right? If you if you bring the house and he's trying to get outside the pocket, but he sees the lane and there's a couple defenders, uh, it's very easy for a defensive coordinator to tell, hey, he's hesitant in hitting that hole, right? Uh, and so that threat can only last so long. It's got about one more game in it, but if he doesn't, you know, start start running, teams are going to start to compress and know, hey, this is this is a little bit more than just knock the wind out of him, or this is a little bit more than, you know, hey, uh, I we're just not running because it's part of the game plan, right? Yeah. So you look at the second half of the season; they're at the halfway point, and they're five and one. We know the teams they beat going forward. Looks like they would have victories minimally over Idaho State and Georgia Southern, so that brings them to seven. And they've got four more Power Fives with Baylor, Washington State, uh, Virginia, and SC. So to get to nine, all they have to do is split those four games. And I think obviously the well, the goal would be to win all six, obviously. But mm-hmm. maybe and to me, if you go ten and two this season, that, that's a really good season. So you're looking at uh, what eleven and one and ten and two. Uh, pretty pretty impressive when you think about it. What do you think they do? Can they get to ten wins? Yeah, I mean, it it is it is all a matter right of how consistent they stay. If this is hey, we're going to play three games and then have a hiccup game like they did the other day, right? Um, or hey, the next three games are super close, then you're kind of bound and inevitable to to lose the fourth one. Um, if, if they really bounce back from this game and pick themselves off and say, pick themselves up and say, Hey, this is, we can't let this happen again. And here's how we're going to do that. Right. Here's how we're going to ensure that we're playing consistent football, that our bad days really aren't, you know, awful days <laughs> like, like uh, this last Saturday, you have to ensure that that type of confidence is instilled in everybody. And you're able to go out and execute to be able to be a part of that big, you know, tier two, tier one college football program. Um, but if it's we're hanging by a thread for three games and we lose one and hanging by a thread for another three games and lose one, it's just uh, I, I think 10 wins is very difficult. But I, I personally have faith that everybody, you know, is picking themselves up and saying, okay, we don't let that happen again. And, you know, they can go in each week and, play football the way that they know how in the most consistent way possible and the way that they did it for, you know, both of the top 25 wins that they had, right? Uh, and so now it's just a matter of 
climbing back up the charts and making sure you kind of make a statement and prove people uh, prove people wrong. Do you find Baylor to be a little bit of a mystery? Have you been tracking him this year and you got some stuff you definitely know about him? It's definitely a mystery. Uh, and that's only because of their new offensive coordinator. Right. What are they bringing to the table? What are they going to show? Who's the one that's actually calling the plays? Um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the big question, right? Uh, depending on how many times they fake the jet sweep, you'll have a pretty good idea of who's calling the plays. Um, but, I mean, this last week, I think you saw a different Baylor football team. They were, you know, exciting, fun, getting it through the air and making an impact on offense. And so, you know, uh, it's all it's all just dependent about how much power they put in, in Grimes' hands. So you're saying Grimes likes to fake the jet sweep a lot? Yeah, I'm not sure if you were uh, able to watch 2018, but I probably faked the jet sweep about 1,500 <laughs> times. Well, you got yourself in shape then. <laughs> oh, I was in shape. <laughs> sideline to sideline, baby. <laughs> Hey, they had to respect your speed. No question. What did it say about no you? Question. I think it said good things about you. You seem to resent all those forty-yard uh, gassers you had to run. Let me tell you, it was a uh, it was a tough one. When I did get it, though, it worked out. It wasn't it wasn't a half bad. But let me tell you, you think it was we, punishment or something? So you just said it, it instead of after been. practice, just do it during the games. It, yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it honestly, it may have been. It may have been. All right, Dylan, we appreciate a few minutes. We will watch for the jet sweep and <laughs> jet the sweep. fake jet oh, I'm going to watch them both. I'm going to watch for the jet sweep and the fake jet sweep. When I can't Absolutely. sleep from now on, I'm going to have Dylan Colley in my mind. Instead of sheep, he's going to be running sideline to sideline. <laughs> just, just One to Dylan Colley, two Dylan Colley, three Dylan Colley. No question. <laughs> no question. <laughs> all right. Th- uh, thanks, all right, Dylan. Good. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. There is Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a trip to the Lone Star State for the Cougars as BYU heads to Waco for a massive showdown against Baylor as the Cougars look to knock off a future Big 12 opponent. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Jazz start the season next Wednesday. They wrapped up the preseason last night. Let's have the best of the postgame show with Jake and the guys right now at 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
Uh, Jake Scott with you. The Jazz win last night their final preseason contest against Milwaukee Bucks, 124 to 120. The starters uh, got minutes in the teens last night. The young guys got a lot of work uh, in the Jazz victory. Uh, Jordan Clarkson led the way. He had 18 points, led the team in rebounding last night, too, with eight boards. Uh, rookie Jared Butler had 16 points, seven assists coming in off the bench. Uh, Mike Conley finished with 13 points, Donovan with 12, Bogdanovich had 14. Let's get you some postgame sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. How important is that for him and kind of your offense when you guys are able to get out of transition and make good things happen? Um, our offense, first of all. It's not, you said my offense. I always get that. My, my offense. It's like with this group, it's definitely our offense. And you just gave a great example of it because – you know, and JC, a lot of times he's running, um, but particularly, you know, when he sees a clean, you know, an empty corner, you know, he can really attack and then he gets into a pick and roll situation that, that he's really good at. So I think it's true of all of us. And, you know, when, when he's talking about us running, when he does it, you know, that's something that, that I've talked to him about is like you, if you're running, you have the opportunity to hold other guys accountable as well. You know, and that, that's, that's the growth that we need on our team. I just talked about a couple of nice shots in the corner or passes to the corner. Yeah. Growth in the system. I, I mean, I think if you've, you see, Son, there's, there's some things that, that he, he's done throughout his career. And, you know, when those opportunities come to recognize them, um, they don't, you know, it's not going to present itself if we're throwing ahead and Boyan's shooting the three. And then it's going to be, you know, get to the offensive glass. And there's probably a reason Boyan's open is because Hassan is run. So um, I, I thought Hassan was really good defensively, you know, and, uh, and really competed. It's happy with that. Jared had another game where he seemed like the moment wasn't too big for him, whether he's going against Giannis or going against Drew or, or getting that extended run in the second period to kind of yeah. lead the offense. What, what did you see out of his game tonight? I, I think Jared's finding a balance, you know, between um, being, you know, his ability to create, um, whether it be for himself and other, you know, his teammates and just, you know, his habits, getting, getting used to playing with people. That, that you know, that – that group, um, you know, I challenged them to like really think lift their level, whether it be defensively or running, you know, and he was a catalyst to that as well. And, uh, those, I thought those guys did a really good job, you know, as, as they were in. Sometimes as you come in the game, you know, you got to throw yourself into the game. And that's not as easy as it sounds, you know, you kind of work your way into it. But it's, it's important because, you know, those minutes – you know, coming in, being ready right away to compete, doing things that, you know, going to the offensive glass, running, just those those little things, you know, they take focus. And, you know, we make them important. And I thought those guys really did that, you know, more and more as the game progressed for them. Sorry, Tom. What was the one thing that you were most encouraged about with, with Jared's game tonight? I, I, I mean, I think that, that he's learning, you know, and I, I think he's, you know, if I could take it away from analyzing like his every piece of his game and, you know, I've talked about just being focused on getting better and I thought he got better throughout the course of the game. What's allowing Eli to be successful right now? When he runs the court, you know, and, and just keeps it simple because, you know, he, he's a talented offensive player, you know, I, I think. But, 
you know, for, for all those guys we're talking about, you know, for them to impact our team, they've got to defend. I mean, that, that's what we should be talking about really only because the offense will come. It'll, it'll happen. You know, they'll be open at times. They'll be instinctive. Um, but if they can, you know, if you can just defend and run the court, you know, you end up like Royce O'Neal and you're a starter. Back when you guys first got JC in the trade, we talked to you about how he's not really known for his defense, he's known for his scoring. You said that one of the things that was special about him is that he would do anything he asked him to do, that he was a try guy. Mm-hmm. What is it that you've asked him to do on the defensive side that has maybe changed over the last couple of seasons? I, I think, first of all, what you said, they just he's he's a coachable, you know, coachable guy. And, and he's somebody that for me is, you know, you can communicate with him. I want him to communicate more to everybody else, too, because I think, you know, when, when he's really working to defend, you know, suddenly you have even more credibility. Um, but I think he's worked at it. You know, defense, just like offense, you know, there's things fundamentally that, that allow you to be good at it. Um, you know, he had one possession today where he defended the ball. And the other night he, he fouled in the same situation. And tonight he showed his hands and just got wider and longer and just leveled the ball off. So um, that's true for all of us. You know, as we've talked about containing the ball, um, that takes concentration and, and really, you know, doing things a certain way fundamentally that allows you to be better at that. You know, I think that's something that we've seen in the preseason with Boyan. You know, that it's it's important to him, and you know, I think that's been true of our group in general. We talked about it with Donovan. Um, you know, I've seen it with Mike. Um, you know, we obviously expect it. You know, with Royce, we don't want to. I think all of our guys understand that if we can defend and get stops, that's when we really, you know, we're pretty good in transition. Coach, at the beginning of preseason, you talked about the importance of players maturing um, no matter what year they are in. Um, And now with preseason wrapped, how do you think this team has matured in preparation for the season? Um, You know, I think at that point I was referring, I think, more to individual guys getting better. Um, But but I think just continuing to, in in the front of our minds, you know, know the things that we have to do. to to be better as a team, you know, against the highest level of competition at the times that it matters most. You know, we didn't do a very good job, you know, when they put Giannis at the five, you know, they were switching one through five and we didn't do a good job of that for, you know, a number of possessions. And then we got better at it, you know, throughout the game. So there's some things like that that we need to continue to work on with our execution. Um, They're a little different. Um, but I think fit our team and, you know, we haven't gone to the offensive boards, you know, the way that I've wanted to see, but, you know, that's something, you know, that's been important to us and needs to continue to be important to us. So there's always an ebb and flow to those things. Um, you know, and it's really about, you know, you, you just, you want to ask for perfection, know that you're not going to get it and, you know, get as much as you can. And, you know, that's just not me and, the coaches, that's, you know, our guys asking that of themselves. That's the maturity that really I think is there. 
that we want to be there. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder as his team uh, finishes the preseason at two and two after beating the the Milwaukee Bucks one twenty four to one twenty. Uh, let's now hear from Jared Butler, who finished up a great preseason, had sixteen point seven assists, and managed to foul out in twenty two minutes. Here's what he had to say after the game. Good to play in front of the home crowd. Yeah, for sure. I was. Um, I was more excited for this game than all the other games I've had um, just because it's like, you know, feeling like home and, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, you faced Alex, Giannis, and you faced Luca. Mm-hmm. Just, I guess, what's that like compared to what you were doing in college when you learned quickly? Uh, you, you jump right in the water, you know. Um, I get in the game, first game against the Spurs. Um, Del Dems is like, you got DeJounte Murray. I'm like, all right, cool, yeah, let's go. Um, but, you know, it's just – just got to jump in the water and you're, you're with a bunch of sharks and you got to see if you're a shark or not, you know? Thoughts on your performance against Drew Holiday, obviously one of the defensive guards in the game. How was that? Yeah, it was good. Um, I, I faced a similar defender with Davion Mitchell. They get, both got the same habits, and um, so I'm, I'm kind of used to it. But, um, yeah, he's a great defender. And um, I felt like I handled a little bit, but, you know, he's. I think he, he won the matchup, though. You feel like you may have case to be part of the rotation? I hope so. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's all about trust. And, um, you know, if I'm a head coach, um, playing with the team with the best record in the league, you know, why do I need to put this rookie in? That's how I'm looking at it, and I'm just trying to um, make the case of why you should. And you know, if any way I can help, that's all I'm trying to do. Where do you feel like you're doing well, and where do you feel like there's still room to improve? Um, I think showing that I can shoot the ball um, off the dribble and catch and shoot is something that um, the Jazz like and what they love. And um, what I think I need to improve on is definitely just. If, if I'm in the game with Donovan Mitchell, um, Jordan Clarkson, and, you know, Bojan, like I'm more of a mover, um, not not a less a, a scorer. So I think that's a part of the game that I'm going to have to switch on when I'm with those guys. I have the six fouls tonight and just kind of yeah. thinking back at them, which ones you kind of wish you had back and what, what did you learn? A lot of the, like, um, we call them Euro files where it's like, you know, fast break and I just, you know, follow them on purpose kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely been always a part of my game. Um, I don't know why. I just, there's just a lot of basketball games I've played in. I'm never too high, never too low. Yeah. Do you feel yourself thinking it? I mean, like at one point, Nassus was too far off you and you pulled up. And then the other time, he'd be too close and you'd be off the dribble. Like, what, what are you seeing there? Is it just an automatic <laughs> or do you have to think? I mean, it's like, it, it's a lot of it's my personality, a lot of it's, um, um, I, I'm okay with the weight of the world on my shoulders. So a lot of times, um, I don't know. It's, it's really just kind of who I am. You've been able to beat a lot of people off the dribble. Do you feel like they're almost surprised that you have such good handles? Yeah. Drew Holiday today, he said, Oh, you can handle the ball. I was like, yeah. So I guess a lot of, I mean, people aren't watching scouting reports and stuff like that, um, this early in the season. So yeah, um, kind of have a knack for that too. Is there some of these crossover you like growing up? Chris Paul, of course. Um, Jamal Crawford was a big, big guy for me. Yeah. On the other side of the ball, defensively, what are you hearing from the coaching staff stuff that they're maybe pointing out to you on that side? Yeah, not too much. Um, just guard your yard. Um, you know, the, um, the the ball screen coverages are a different aspect, but I think mainly just making sure um, if I'm guarding a guy one on one, you know, I got to win that matchup. Yeah. Do you notice going away and like guys like Tim Cook watching you courtside and like is that? <laughs> nah, it nah. It it did, but nah, it doesn't. Now it's like, all right, I'm in the NBA. I got I can't focus on that anymore. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, what's the balance for you when you know that 
you can pretty much get it where you want off the dribble, but you also know that you have to run off. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when, that's one thing I'm, you know, super trying to focus on is getting guys shots. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to know that I can get my shot when I want to, but like you said, I, I got to be able to get guys shots and get the team feeling the same way, you know? So. Along those lines, what was it like in that second quarter stretch where, you know, Don is sitting, Mike is sitting and, and all of a sudden, you're the guy running the show with the regulars. <laughs> They're not regulars. They're great guys. Um, and when DA dunked it, that was a great moment. Um, though getting the dunk, that was a great moment. It's it's just fun, you know, winning and the crowd was into it. Um, super fun. There's not a lot of guys like Rudy Gobert on the planet. What's it like playing pick and roll with him? He's, he's, he's actually um, – He's, he, he plays the mind game with me a lot of times. Usually the guard is more, you know, savvy and trying to pick apart the, the big, but he's like playing the game with me almost. And he's, he's taught me a lot, especially what, what bigs look for in the pick and roll and stuff like that. Thoughts on your progression throughout the preseason from the first game to now? Did you accomplish what you wanted to? <laughs> I guess. I kind of didn't have any expectations. I just wanted to get adjusted and um, feel like, you know, I, I, I'm going to play in this league a long time. And um, I, I think for the most part, I, I, I thought that right now. Uh, Utah is known for one of the best arenas, especially when it comes to our fans. Uh, you got a small taste of that tonight. What is your first impression of the fans? I love them. They're um, hopefully they're reliable and um, um, consistent. You know, no matter if I play or not. So, um, just excited for that for sure. There you go. That's Jared Butler. All right. There's a little bit on the Jazz, and we will have more from the preseason finale. Looking ahead to the season opener next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a bye week, the Aggies look to keep their Mountain West Conference Championship hopes alive as they head south to Las Vegas for a battle against the Rebels of UNLV. Hear all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 4. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Jazz wrap up the preseason by beating the Bucks. The bigger focus, though, where do they go from here? Regular season starts Wednesday. Let's get you back to the best of the postgame show. Let's now hear from my favorite interview on the team. That is Jordan Clarkson. What are some of the things that stood out to you from that group, maybe individual guys? Uh, I mean, Trent, uh, you know, seeing him from last year, too, seeing him this year, you can see a big difference in his game. Uh he knows his reads. He's making plays, getting in the lane. Uh, he's shooting. <clears throat> when I seen him in the tra- in the in like the preseason games, he was shooting his three. Like, you know, he had more confidence in that. Uh, Eli uh, getting out there, making plays, making threes, um, just having a pace and stuff to, you know, make moves, look more comfortable with the ball. I think he had a, a great play today. I was in the restroom, but. Said he got to the rim and like he just kind of slipped the ball, but you know it was a great move. But <clears throat> you see all those guys kind of progressing as well, and then JB, J, um, you know, just kind of learning. You know, it's uh, but you can see his his pace, his ability to uh, change speeds and get to the spot and uh, finish uh, against bigger guys. And um, trying to think, it was Mie doing? You know what he does? He comes in. A lot of the times, uh, you know, last year with our group and um, 
this preseason, most of the time his job is like a guard, like the best player. You know, he does a good job of doing that, crashing the boards and making an open three. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure, uh, think of another young guy. Yeah, yeah. But those are like the the ones that, you know, I've, I've seen and uh, been around and uh, been like, you know, kind of in the ear, just talking to them throughout the whole pre- preseason. You were really hyped on. I mean, the whole bench was right. I guess while you guys were sitting courtside, what do you remember about when you were part of that young Lakers group and like what it meant to have the veterans have your back? Um, it means a lot. You know, just having that support. Um, you know, kind of look at it from like the other mirror. You know, now I'm kind of like in that you know situation where I'm becoming like an older guy. And, that's a uh, that's crazy, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like uh, the same thing. You know, they gave me the support. Lou Williams, uh, Nick Young, Kobe, um, Carlos Boozer, all those guys. You know, gave us like great confidence when we was, um, you know, younger and coming up in the league. And you know, that's always like that's like the best praise you can get from your peers. And um, you know, being excited, having you know, that confidence and that energy like push towards y'all. I think it's uh, it's great for the young guys. There are a couple times tonight where you push the ball hard down the middle of the floor in transition, like almost like Russ or John Wall would be, you know, like, has that been a focus for you? And kind of, when are you trying to do that? Um, I mean, the majority of the time, I'm, like we got to, I was kind of like stressing that to Jared a little bit um, in the game, crossing the, like half court before like 20, like, 23 because you, know, you make so many passes in between that time if we over that if we over that line you know in between those that time we good we got enough options to you know figure it out even if a play is broke or whatever so I was just trying to get down the court and uh you know I was just trying to make plays and I knew you know those guys you know Brooke Lopez and everything if I was getting down the floor they might have had a switch or they might have been confused and then Brooke would end up, you know, guarding me and a lot of mismatches in that situation. But, um, yeah, that's a big thing for us, you know, pushing the ball, getting up and down the court, getting more possessions and uh, open shots. You said that uh, you pushing the ball in transition is in a way, um, kind of a way for you to hold other guys accountable. But this is something that's important you need to. Is that like something you've consciously thought about? Like, is that something you've talked to the other guys about? Uh, yeah, that's what I was like. Cause I was kind of harping the coach when uh when I was running with that uh, younger group in the second half was just like yeah we gotta we gotta keep pushing the ball we gotta get more possessions if we we playing like this and just kind of letting Jared know kind of how the game goes and how we want want the offense to flow and everything and um you know sometimes when you, the action doesn't work on this side you want to have enough time to get to the second and third action and uh, make the next play so. It was just a big thing. So I just was like, man, I'm doing it. And then if I'm speaking on it, I think everybody else got to follow as well, too. So I can't speak on something that I'm not doing. So I just figured, like, when I got the ball, just push the ball. What did you think of Rudy's jumper? <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. I wish he would have shot it again. Uh, the second time he had it, he kind of went to the basket and did a Euro. I was telling him, shoot it. I was like, bro, he's wide. You wide open? Just shoot the ball right now. And it was, I think it was like eight seconds on the shot clock. I was like, 
you didn't even have to make no move for him. The easy one was right there. But <laughs> right, <laughs> nah. But uh, <laughs> it's awesome though uh, seeing him uh, confidently take that uh, that jump shot. Uh, he shot a few uh, threes in practice recently, so I wouldn't be surprised if um, he takes one in the game and makes it. Did he make them? He did. He actually has made them. Yeah. He made them uh, – I think he shot two of them in practice during uh, training camp, So, and he made both of them. So, it's not like uh, he hasn't done it. The third one he missed, I got I got kind of pissed because I was trying to win the, uh, that, that game in practice. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think he was like two for three in practice. So, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, – I think his stat was uh, – he hasn't made a three. No. All right, so he'll change that. What would you actually be if he does things one? Um, I don't know, man. That's gonna be crazy. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna lie to you. I might, I might laugh. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's just gonna be a funny sight seeing him uh, just take being that confident, just taking that shot and you know knocking it down. I think, I mean, I got confidence in all my teammates that they're gonna make the shot and uh, you know, make the right reads. Speaking, speaking of Rudy, as the uh, team's resident fashion expert. Did you see his Kusha uh, tracksuit the other night? And, and what, what were your thoughts on that? Um, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> if Kim Kardashian didn't wear it first, I would probably would have been like, no, I still... <laughs> no, 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 no. No, <laughs> no, 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 I'm just playing. But no, it was a... No, nah, I like it though. That's Rudy. Like, he likes it. Yeah, it was a. Probably, I'll give it like a. I give it an A minus just for the like, for the uh, for the confidence to wear a pink like that and suit. It was nice. One more about basketball. Uh, when you first got here, December two years ago, uh, when we were talking to Quinn about you, he wanted he was pushing back on the idea that. You're just a scorer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, on the defensive side, he does everything that I ask him to do. Like, nothing else, he tries. Yeah. How have you seen your defensive game change from when you got here to Um, To be honest, like, through the whole preseason, like, defense is all I really gave, like, cared about, to be honest with you. So, uh, the offensive stuff is, like, easy. I know I'm a fine man. But, like, figuring out defense is, like, super hard. And, you know, there's so many great, talented players in the NBA. A lot of that stuff comes to, like, pride and just, like, angles and other stuff as well. But at the end of the day, you kind of just got to, you know, lock in and guard your man. You know, it happened to us um, in the Clippers series where they kind of, like, spread us out and it's just driving us. Uh, it's been a big uh, – took, like, a big impact on us mentally and uh, something that we all kind of locking in and, and trying to be better at. Um, just guarding our yard and uh, playing defense, keeping guys in front of us and retaining. That's Jordan Clarkson, 18 points, eight boards, managed to get in a Kim Kardashian joke about uh, Rudy Gobert there. Uh, but Jordan Clarkson, always classic. Let's wrap up player sound with Donovan Mitchell. We um, we did a lot of good things this preseason. I think we saw a lot of things we can be really good at. I think this this week coming up, just hitting, hitting home on those and also hitting on things like, you know, as far as knowing the plays, knowing the actions, being uh, sharp on that by October 20th. But I think we're in a good spot for sure. You guys got six days or so before things count, right? Right. Is that six days really valuable and you're able to focus in? At what point are we like, 
antsy and you're like, okay, let's get it going. Shoot, I was antsy after last game. Um, I think I think we're at a point now, even after was it uh yeah, like five days in between San Antonio and Dallas it was like, okay, you know, we sit in Dallas and then it's like, all right, we got two weeks. Like, you know, I think from that point, it was, it was, that's where we had the interviews and we talked about practice and how physical it's been. Like, that's where I feel like the energy just went to a whole different level. And you saw it on everybody's face and you saw it about how we approached practice and how we came in. Not to say we weren't doing that before, but, you know, it's gradual. You know, it's, it's, it's a gradual progression. I think that's when we really you know, started to pick things up. And then now we have one week, you know, now it's like we're, you're doing your extra conditioning, you're doing your extra shots, but now it's like, you know, you got to be sharp and on point. You know, there's no room for error. There's no nothing. We just got to be ready to go. Does that anticipation for the regular season change all of your yeah, uh, I think so. I, I mean, for me, it's, 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 it counts. This is what you, you wait for. And, you know, we, the way we lost last year, it's, it's still, you know, still fire that birds inside, you know, so it's, it's you're ready to go. And, you know, I think that's, that's what's going to fuel us the whole week. understanding that, you know, we played solid this preseason. There are things we can definitely, like I said, improve on. But I think if we just, you know, continue to what we're doing and, and execute and lock in on the, in these next six days, we'll be good. Yeah, and it, I think a lot of it, you know, it's it's, it's crazy because I remember my exact self. You know, I talked about it with Jared. It's not really knowing what the hell we're doing, you know, because you come to a organization. We, we we do a lot of different things. A lot of it's rebates. A lot of it's, you know, there's plays, there's calls, there's unique names to plays that you know necessarily aren't in different different situations. So having to adjust all that in a, in a two and a half week span is just tough. And you know, Eric and, and Hassan and, and and Jared have been doing a good job as far as picking it up and, and doing a good job. And you saw it tonight with him running the floor, blocking shots being able to get the ball in the post, stuff like that. Um, so we're just continuing to build. And I think these six days allow us to really hone in on those things, especially for the new guys, you know, coming in understanding that, look, this is what we want. This is this is where you're going to get the ball. This is where we got to be on defense, understanding the play man zone, whatever it may be. What do you remember about that battle? The, you were good enough your rookie year to score, right. but you weren't necessarily doing it kind of the way you're supposed to be doing right. it. And Jared can do that now too. Right. What's that battle like? What do you find to take out? I think, you know, for what's the battle like you talking about for him or for me? Yeah, just as you're getting into the NBA. Uh, I think, you know, I, I tell him all the time, you know, he didn't have to necessarily get off the ball as much because he had Davion and, and Maceo. So his job was to come in and score. It was kind of like myself at Louisville where I was kind of the guy to shoot and score. Um, so I think that's it's a good thing to be to have to scale back as opposed to telling him to shoot, in my opinion. I, I think that's that's pretty good. You know, he has a great feel. He's, you know, he knows how to get, you know, get a, get a bucket. So now it's about making it easier, you know, getting off it, coming right back and getting easier shots because instead of going to ISO, which is what I did a lot my rookie year. And I think that's, I see a lot of myself in that, you know, as far as having that balance. And it's all read and all comes with playing at that level. You know, for so many years, you're playing as the guy who just goes in the text. Now you got to understand who you're playing around, who you're playing with, and also understanding that you don't have to work as hard to score. Uh, you don't have to work as hard to make plays. You can make it one small pass and it creates in the past doesn't necessarily always have to come from you. You know, I think that's one thing I, I really learned, especially when the team switch, you know, making that pass ahead and letting that person on the wing be the person that makes the pass as opposed to myself or, in his case, himself making the, making the, the pass. But he's, he's coming along well and then doing a really good job. He's going to be really good. Along those, along those lines, he got a few kind of extended opportunities to, to run the show as the, as the lead guy. What, what did you see from him? What kind of progress has he been showing? Uh, Poise. Uh, he's always had that. I think I said that after the San Antonio game when he came out and did his thing. But I think for him, the biggest thing, like I said, is being able to make, like he's made quarter reads, he's making the pocket passes, the lobs. And I think playing at that pace, he does it in spurts. He plays at that pace and not coming out saying, all right, I'm looking to score or I'm looking to pass. It's like coming off being aggressive. 
then the op, uh, the uh, the lane or the vision, the the, excuse me, the lane will open up. You know, don't come off predetermined what you're about to do because that's how you turn the turnovers. That's how you take bad shots. Because as we know, I've done that for for a few years. So understanding that balance, I think, is the biggest thing with him. And he's you see it in a four game span in preseason that he's able to pick up that really quickly and be able to adjust. But you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a learning experience. It's going to be ups. It's going to be downs, and just staying even keel throughout. Did you, I guess, you individually or you collectively as a team learn anything from the Bucks winning the title last year? Um, for myself, it, I didn't watch. I can't say I watched every game. I only watched game six. But the one thing I will say is you watch how guys were stars in their exact role. You know, you watch how guys were able to do things for the sake of winning, you know, the game. And I think, not to say we don't do that, but I think that's something thing I've really noticed that, you know, even tonight, you know, the, the, the way they speak to each other, the way they go out there on the court, the way they're talking about things, and it's a preseason game, it's like you feel like they've been on that journey. And I think that's where ultimately that's our goal to get to. And I think that's what this year is about, communicating with each other, understanding each other, understanding what we do exactly and being great at it. You know, I think that's what we have. We have the chemistry for it. We have the guys for it. I think that's one thing that stood out to me is everybody was locked in on what they do. Like Drew Holiday's in the read spot. Like I've never, I've never had to guard somebody in the read spot. You know what I mean? So being able to understand that as opposed to he coming from um, New Orleans where he's, you know, running the show at, at the point, you know, being able to adjust there. Chris Middleton doing his thing uh, in the mid range, but then you got PJ Tucker last year doing what he does. So there were so many different things. And obviously you have Giannis, like there's so many different guys down the line that were just stars in what they did. And I think that's what ultimately got them to, you know, the chip. Communication. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, I think last year in the playoffs, we really became really reliant. I think now understanding, containing the ball, being able to keep things, you know, in front of us, being able to scramble, being able to rotate. Um, I think that and not fouling, I think is huge as well. And I think that's, that's really where we, these six days will definitely help watching the film from the past too, because we haven't really sat down and watched. So we'll go ahead and look back at it and kind of go over examples so we can physically uh, see, you know, where we're doing right, what we're doing wrong and adjust. And then also go back and practice and do it live. I think getting those reps will definitely help. Um, we often talk about uh, Dwayne Wade's mentorship role that he's played in your life. And at the end of the game, you guys definitely shared a moment. Um, are you open to sharing what happened in that moment? Um, I was talking about my conditioning. <laughs> um, I was just talking about, like, you know, things that I just want to do to get to get to continue to get in better shape. Nothing like not to say I'm not in shape, but I think just asking them questions. I ask them questions all the time. I walk through the room in the timeout, ask them literally questions about my shoes. Like, you know, like I ask them anything. So um, just being able to say, like, all right, we got six days. I've never had this much time in between the preseason and the uh, in the regular season. So how do I, you know, not do too much? but also not do too little, being able to find that balance. And he's been doing, he's done it for uh, 15, 16 years. So what better person to ask uh, than him? But, you know, it's, it's great to have a guy like that, um, you know, like a text call and also be right there courtside. But, you know, he's seen a lot, of, he's seen so many different things in his career that, you know, I've, I'm going to in year five. So I've seen things, but not as much as him. So just asking him, just keeping it light as always. As always. Okay, that. Go ahead, Matt. Um, there was also a moment with the fans when you were like swarmed, yeah. which is something that we weren't really able to see last season. Right. Um, how does it feel to be able to connect with them again um, in that way? I think it's great. You know, I think I spend more time on it now because it kind of it's like making up for for lost time. I think it's, you appreciate the love, you appreciate that we spoke on this the other day. I think you asked it, and I think you you appreciate that. You know, it's it's something that, like I said, as a kid, you know you you dream you I was them you know not like you know so being able to be in my position be able to try and make every every kids every fans there I think to me means the world and it was tough it was a tough 
two years uh, for everybody. So being able to have them back and give them excitement on the floor, but also just be having that interaction uh, with the fans, I think, means the world. Speaking of Guy has been around for 16 years. Rudy Gay has been able to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the old guy. <laughs> he hasn't been able to be on the floor with you guys, but Jordan mentioned that he's been like really engaged with you guys. How has how that played out? Uh, man, he's, for a guy who hasn't done anything as far as playing, he's done a lot. You know, I think he's been a voice. He's been, you know, someone who sees things as far as schematics, as far as what we're doing. Um, I personally have, you know, pulled him aside and asked questions like I always do. And he's been able to give me insight on different things. And, you know, he's a guy that's, that's seen a lot. You know, obviously we have Mike, we have Rudy, we have Joe, um, Boyan, guys who've seen, but he's been in the league 16 years, played against the greats, played with the greats. And, you know, he was always, we even had a conversation where he's talking about his, his toughest defense, toughest guys to guard, why were they tough? Like just be giving you, giving all this insight on why each great, you know, or each person was, was good at what they do. And I think for myself, ultimately where I want to be, is, you know, be able to play 16 years, ultimately want to be one of the greats of the game and being able to listen to someone and speak with someone who has that experience, who has played against the greats, being able to come in and speak and, and, and kind of teach you things and give you the ins and outs and kind of the tricks of the trade, basically, I think is, is definitely helpful, but more towards the team he's been phenomenal. There is Donovan Mitchell, 12 points on 5 of 8 shooting, and as he mentioned there, the Jazz now have 6 days off until they open up the season next Wednesday uh, when the Oklahoma City Thunder will be in town. That game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage will begin at 6. That's the best of the post-game show. When we return, what is trending? All the headlines, next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NFL. It was a lot, you know, to handle. I'll say it that way. (laughs) Like... Uh, y'all know me, man. I don't. I don't condone that kind of talk. I don't talk that way. My kids, sure as heck, will never talk that way. You know, and uh, it's hard because I love the man so much. Derek Carr and his emotions on the John Gruden revelations and Gruden resigning as the Raiders head coach. Went on to say, "Love the man, hate the sin." Raiders getting ready to play the Broncos. A couple of three and two teams chasing the Chargers in the AFC West. You got any idea what impact this is going to have on a team that's got playoff hopes and has gotten off to a good enough start a third of the way through the season? No, but I know a naive father when I hear it. Sure as heck, my kids will never do fill in the blank. (laughs) (laughs) Don't guarantee anything. Just wait, D.C. (laughs) Have your life turned upside down. Hopefully they don't, but don't be guaranteeing what your kids are going to do. You just don't know. Uh, As far as what's going on, well, not that this is a tragedy in like with the Utah football program. That's a tragedy, and we see so far anyway they're coming out of it from the football perspective uh, but then you look at the Trojans and their coach was was canned and they're a mess 
Now, they, you, know, you can't compare a, a death to, to this, but I'm trying to draw some comparisons. It's hard to say because these are professionals, and these guys are getting paid a ton of money to perform, and it really doesn't matter who the coach is as far as what your individual responsibility is in a league that has such a short lifespan. So you would think each individual player would be able to say, i got to put that aside because this is my livelihood. There's no job out there that I can make this kind of cash. But at the same time, the average stay in the NFL is so short, you would think that they would be able to focus at what they individually need to do, which then can translate to a team. But I can't guarantee that. Yeah, there are some differences, aside from everything you say, which I think we can all see the truth of that. But, you know, you're going to have a new play caller now. And so how's that going to impact the team, especially in a league where there are so many one-possession games? I mean, there are just tons of them. And so a play call here, a play call there, how you set up a big play, who knows how this is going to play out. Derek Carr did go on to say he believes the NFL should open up everything with regards to emails and team communications. Uh, He says uh, people would start sweating a bit, hopefully not too many, but that's what they should do for all coaches and GMs and owners from now on is open it up. I believe that is the last thing we will see happening. What does that mean, open it up? Open So uh, their emails and their text communications so we can see what kind of things they are or aren't saying. Not happening. Why, why would we do that? We're going to start doing that across the and everything all yeah. the time? Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Philadelphia Eagles tonight. That's the Thursday night game, 620 on Fox and the NFL Network. Tom Brady expected to play despite a thumb injury. And the Bucks off to a great start. The Eagles, well, not so much. Bucks have the the one loss this year. One of the seven teams sitting at uh, four and one right now. The Eagles will just be trying to get back to five hundred. I've heard of a few injuries, PK. This is a different one. Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow is on voice rest following a throat injury that required a precautionary hospital visit for a throat contusion. It's all coming from his head coach Zach Taylor. That, that sounds brutal. And that would be devastating in our business. Absolutely. <laughs> in the Charlie's Angels TV show, the guy who played Bosley had this weird uh, raspy voice. It was always attributed to the fact that uh, he had a throat injury from being a uh, high school football quarterback. I don't know if that's what it was. That's what it was always attributed to. Never watched Charlie's Angels. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Low pick and roll. They go under on Mike Conley again. He fires a three again. He hits again. Mike Conley had a fabulous year for the Utah Jazz last year, touching toward career highs despite being a veteran. Rebound Clarkson has it. Ahead to Pascal. Back to Clarkson. Catch and shoot transition three is good. Jared Butler driving the left side. Comes the lane and dunks it. Butler's just got great control with the dribble, and he just beat George Hill, who thought he was going across a pick. Went through his legs to break through it and got to the lane and dunked it off one foot. Nice move. Jared Butler working the left side. Flares it up top to Hughes. Catch and shoot three, falling back, and he hits it. Elijah Hughes is just a completely different player than he was a year ago. 
Jazz and the Bucks. That's the Jazz last preseason game right there. Jordan Clarkson led the Jazz with 18 points. Jordan Butler added 16. And the Jazz beat the Bucks 124-120. Now on to the regular season opener Wednesday night. Take anything away from the preseason? Yeah, I think they're going to have one of those private scrimmages against Westminster on Monday. You know, that's what the college teams do. A week is a long time to sit around between now and the first game, but that's what they have. It's kind of funky that they would do that, but that's what they got. Take any away from from the game or the preseason? You want the preseason in general? Yes. Or the the individual? I probably think it's the same thing along the lines of preseason and individual games. Jared Butler didn't play in one of them. I was talking to Eric Walden yesterday, the Salt Lake Tribune, and I'm saying, it's like I don't want to believe this kid is good. <laughs> uh, can you can you talk me off the ledge? Or talk me that being on the ledge, I guess it's a wrong analogy, but talk me into that it's, a, it's actually positive. And he's saying he's having a hard time talking me out of it based on what the kid showed. And he said that he didn't think he had elite athleticism. And I was thinking about that last night as far as elite athleticism. You don't necessarily need it, and really only a few guys have it. But you see some guys have it, but they don't have the skill. So if you had to choose between elite athleticism and skill, I would probably go with skill because I think you could be successful because we've had a number of great players or very good players in the league that didn't necessarily have elite athleticism. Well, then if you combine elite athleticism with skill, well, then you got a Donovan Mitchell, right? I mean, he's just got it both, right? He's got elite skill. The only thing he doesn't have is big-time height, but he's got elite athleticism and elite skill. So the point I'm making is that you can find a way to succeed in this league without elite athleticism because actually you you're only compared your athleticism at the elite level is only being compared to other elite athletes in the NBA, whereas you do have elite athleticism compared to most folks, right? You just don't necessarily have it compared to Donovan Mitchell, but not that many guys have it. So can this kid find his way to contribute without the elite athleticism? And I think he can, but then I'm biased. Oh, wait, he wasn't drafted till 40. There's just no way. So I'm having all this conversation with myself, and nobody knows it. If they were... If they could read my mind like that movie with uh, what's-his-face, the, the guy Mel from Gibson. Australia. Yeah, they think, what's he doing over there? He's arguing with himself. <laughs> He's a wacko. Because I'm going back and forth in my own mind thinking about as I'm watching the game, as he's playing and playing well, how do I present this in a manner that represents what I think and is accurate because that's what people listen to us for. And I'm going back and forth with myself. I'm winding myself into a ball, and I'm not even speaking. I was a mess last night. I couldn't wait to go to bed. I think you're on point about the difference between (laughs) athleticism and skill, and there aren't that many people that have it. But in an era when the three-point shot is so important, skill matters a lot, and he can shoot it. Now, if you play in another era and the defensive rules are different, you better have the size, the strength, and the quickness. and. and it's not that you don't want that stuff now, because you do. But in this era, if you have a guy who can create for you and you're going to get into one-on-one situations, you know, the ability to dribble left or right, shoot off the dribble, be on balance at all times, 
I suppose you can describe that as elite athleticism, but usually we describe elite athleticism as, is your first step way quicker than everybody else's, and can you jump higher than everybody else? Those are the two pieces of the puzzle we always look at. LeBron has had both those things for years and years. Now, maybe he's finally losing them, and they're, you know, he's not quite what he was in those areas. You know, that's an elite athlete. But, man, you need guys who can shoot off the catch and shoot, shoot off the dribble, going left, going right, and he looks awfully smooth out there. Yeah, guys who can play. Yeah. And he looks like he can play. You look at Bogdanovich, he doesn't necessarily have it, but he has great, he has excellent athleticism. He just doesn't have elite. Same thing with Conley. These are two guys that have thrived in this league for a good long while. So there's a place, it looks like, for the skill set of a Jared Butler, but I don't want to get too crazy and start hyping some dude who hasn't played one single second of a regular season game, but I can't help myself. You know, the thing we thought in the offseason, how does Rudy Gay fit in? What does he look? What are the potential lineups? We don't find any of that because of the heel, and he hasn't played. So that's a big old question mark just looming out there. Exactly how is he going to fit, and exactly how are they going to use him? What are the best combinations? What will they be able to do? How will teams attack that? That all. That all we go through preseason and just remains a question mark. Well, I'm, I'm really, there's a million things to watch in the season, and one of those things is going to be how Quinn Snyder uses Butler. I'm really intrigued as far as that goes, because he's looked good when he's been out there. Jazz now wait for Wednesday and Oklahoma City. They will open the season at home, and then they'll go to Sacramento for a game on Friday. So there you go, next Friday. Tip-off, 7 o'clock for that season opener Wednesday night. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. I came into the season thinking that I was just going to be able to play ball, you know, be able to use my talent uh, to continue to, uh, you know, inspire, influence people in the right way. Like putting this on me is just like, why are you putting it on me? You know, like this, this is not part of, you know, what's going on in conversations with scientists, physicians and doctors. I'm, I'm just a hooper, right? Like I'm, I'm just a person who, who's being utilized as, as an example. For some odd reason, you know, people love to have my name in the mix of just some BS. Kyrie Irving says he still hopes to return and play for the Nets, but this is about his life and what he's choosing to do. He spoke out on social media, on Instagram Live, to make the comments one day after the Nets decided to not allow their starting point guard to practice or play with them until he complies with New York City's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. For some reason, PK, it's always his name in the BS. Yeah, it's easy to crack on him and say, well, quit playing the victim. You're putting yourself into this mess. I, I get that. That's an easy thing to do. But I'm trying to look deeper uh, into this situation and trying to see what's in this man's soul, what's in this man's heart, what's in this man's mind. Uh, and it, it's really hard to do. The easy way is just to just throw out some criticism and say, yeah, I could be tough guy and criticize him. Because he doesn't play for the Jazz. There'll be zero blowback on my behalf if I just rip him left and right. Yeah. I'm trying to be more analytical involving this. It's hard to because I, I don't know. You know what, what would I have done if I didn't basically have to get the vaccine? Yeah. It's easy to say, well, I got it. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, I, I had to get it, right? I, I don't have the leverage that he has. 
Now, I got it, and so far, I don't know, I should say knock on wood, what have you. I don't have any problems. I didn't I didn't have any problem. I didn't have a headache. I didn't even have an arm ache when I got it. It was nothing, yeah. absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you zero, win. Yeah. yeah, zero. I had nothing, literally nothing. But that's me. So it's easy to criticize, as I say. It just, it's a complex situation here for sure. Philadelphia 76 coach Doc Rivers said of Ben Simmons in 76ers final preseason game Friday, I'm assuming he's going to play, but who knows? I can't get in anyone's head. He's also unsure of the status of Simmons' trade demand. I don't know. He's voiced that, but we'll see how that works out. Well, this is typical. We go to Irving first, then we go to the Simmons saga. There it is. So, what so we do, trade Simmons for Irving. Uh, nah, that already got floated in Philly, and they already shot that down. They're not, they're not yeah, I, that. yeah they're not I don't know if I'm the Nets, what I do that. I just, yeah, I, I agree with Doc Rivers. I can't get in someone's head. You try, but more often than not, you fail. There'll be games soon, PK, and then we'll leave the saga of the two biggest stars who've been the saga here throughout preseason. We'll leave and move on to something else. Something else will happen. Yeah. Sure. D- DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Dodgers and Giants, Game 5. You wanted it, you expected it, here it is tonight. Winner will play Atlanta in the National League Championship Series. Loser is all done. 7 o'clock tonight on TBS. The Giants were one game better in the regular season. Can they be one game better in the playoffs? Yeah, the only shame is this this isn't a seven-gamer, it's a five-gamer, but this is really cool for, I think, sports fans, particularly baseball fans like somebody like me, because in this this situation, you know, in a regular season game, a team gets off to a 2 nothing lead, Anybody's nobody's rarely paying attention, all right, you got the third inning, you're up 2 nothing. whoop de doo but tonight, when that happens, there's going to be tension, right? You'll feel it, particularly if it's the Dodgers, because the home crowd at, uh, what do they call it, AT&T Park now, whatever it's called. Beautiful park, been there many times, you have too. And you'll feel the tension, right? So every little thing is magnified a hundred times over. It's really, it's it's unlike anything in sports because like a seventh game in basketball, right? It doesn't really get super tense until the end because somebody's going to go up to nothing or up by ten points. And we know in the first half, a 10-point lead, you know, that's a yawner. But in, in this game, with the situation with pitching, do I leave the starter in? Do I take him out? All that type of stuff. It just really heightens the level of tension involved. And for me as a sports fan, not necessarily really caring who wins, would uh, sit back and enjoy that. Although I will say, whoever wins this game, I'm going to want them to win the World Series. Well, we know a runner in scoring position will matter because, and even a base runner might, because the one run, it just means every game three. We just had a one-zip game in game three, and we could have another one here. So Yeah, but even in that situation, there wasn't that kind of tension when it oh, was right. one Oh, right, exactly. Right, but that's the reason we'll have the tension tonight, is these guys just played right. a one-zip game. So every little thing can matter. And somebody's going home with 106 or 107 wins. And Atlanta awaits 
The uh, ALCS they got a little uh, they got a little break before they get going. They'll be they'll be going Friday. Ray Fossey, Major League Baseball catcher, two-time All-Star, famous for the collusion at home plate. Pete Rose running him over in the 1970 All-Star game. Uh, he has died at the age of 74, battled cancer for 16 years. That is a legendary moment, a play that has been shown literally thousands of times. And I can't imagine it happening in an All-Star game now, but it's a different era then. Everything was intense, and Pete Rose came home intent on blowing up Ray Fossey, who was never an All-Star again after that collision. Uh, he had his shoulder broken and separated. Is there anybody in the history of baseball who's known for just a collision? There's nobody. There's nobody else. You could say Joe Theismann with the leg, but Joe Theismann had a pretty good career. Won a Super and, Bowl, second in a high yeah, voting. So, so he's, he's, that was stuff. part of it for sure, but it's not the thing that you think of with Joe Theismann exclusively, whereas Ray Fossey, that's the thing of you think of exclusively. I couldn't tell you one other thing about Ray Fossey other than that play. Yeah, actually reading his uh, obituary, I found out he went on to be an announcer for the uh, Oakland A's. Oh, yeah, I knew I that. guess I knew that. Yeah. So I knew a little bit about his career, but I had forgotten it. But that's not a playing career. No. Nope. Two-time All-Star. He went uh, two years in a row, and then that collision, and he's done. Never the same player after that. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz at 830. David Smoke, host on Circum365 Radio at 9 o'clock. He'll talk Baylor and BYU. Question of the day is on the way. DJ and PK at 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a bye week, the Aggies look to keep their Mountain West Conference Championship hopes alive as they head south to Las Vegas for a battle against the Rebels of UNLV. Hear all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 4. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair? It's 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment or visit www.utahhairmd.com. All right, PK, you put a couple of questions up, and man, I would have predicted this so so incorrectly. You got a college football question. Is this the week we find out how good BYU and Utah really are? And then you got another question. What do you think about potential changes to jazz colors and the logo? Question about the jazz colors got more than five times as many comments as the question about BYU and Utah, which seems to me like a good question, right? The Utes just got their best win of the year. BYU, well, it's got to be their worst loss because it's their only loss of the year. 
And they're both playing really good teams on the road. You have Baylor's 5-1. and one. ASU's leading the division in the Pac-12 South. I would have thought that got a little more reaction. But people are all about the Jazz colors. Well, we're not, I can, un- we're I can not. understand your surprise to a degree. <laughs> five times? More than five times the comments. Uh, we're not a couple of uh, fashionistas here. I don't know if uh, people care about our uh, taste in, uh, in color schemes. <laughs> That's not really my go-to strength. I don't know. I think the bigger issue here is it explains the passion for the jazz. Yeah, without question. And the that. connection yep. that the community has to the team and how literally every little thing that the team does matters, whatever it might be. And you know, there's a lot of transplants in our area, those dreaded Californians. I hate each and every one of them if you've moved up to Utah from California. I just don't like you whatsoever. Now, of course, I'm joking because that includes you and that includes me. Uh, Thank you for I'm not alienating Cali- all my in-laws. Ca- yeah, you're a Californian. I'm not, but I did live there most recently besides here. And I certainly have a connection to the area. It is a part of me, and, and it's really where I grew up in the business, basically, in California, where I got to start to do some stuff and, and decided, okay, this is what – it's going to what it's going to be for me as far as a paycheck. So that holds a near and dear spot in my heart for sure. Uh, but being from in front case of me, how many states have I lived in? Four? One, two, three, four. Yeah. So I moved around a lot. <laughs> Not a lot of people who aren't in the military live in four different states. Uh, military people, like, uh, big deal. You lived in four states, and that was before I was seven years old. Uh, but excluding them, not a lot of people. So I've moved around and have lost allegiances and really never had a true connection. But there's so many folks in Utah that have been here. You know, they've gone away for two years for obvious reasons, but this is their home, and this is where they intend to live. So they have an intense relationship with the Jazz, and that's what's pretty cool uh, about that. So I can see why that would generate a lot of emotion and passion because of the connection. It's really, really strong. Without question, it is strong, and there are people who have invested financial in previous color schemes who may not be excited about this. Although there are other all people... All the color schemes. All, well, that's the thing is, they've changed colors before, and when they've gone to different colors, I've seen the old the old jerseys show up at games. You just look out and see people wearing them. They wear what they've got, and they got their favorite players, and they got their favorite colors, and they just stick with it. So you end up with all kinds of looks. Uh, Philip says, I like the OG Mardi Gras colors best, but I can't believe how upset some people are getting about it. I haven't seen people that upset about it. Well, we haven't seen anything to be upset about. Just the just the word that they're going to wear black and white has got some people uh, fired up and talking about it. Ron, don't change the colors. Why didn't you post the new colors and logo? I have no idea what you're talking about, DJ and PK. Well, they haven't released them yet. We wish we had them yeah, for right? it. There's <laughs> nothing to post. Yeah. They repainted the inside of the gym where they practice at the ZBBC facility. That got everybody talking. 
as well as the rewrap of the J note out in front oh, of Oh, and they stadium. did redo the J note then, yes, out in front of the arena. But as far as what the jersey will look like. See, I think there's a bigger issue here that to me should excite jazz fans is this is a new dawning upon the franchise, right? You've got a new owner, and the new owner is going to come in. It doesn't matter what team, what city, what have you. happens to be our situation here. After there's been one owner for so long, a family, one family, that's unique too, one family owning the team, one man and then one lady who owned it, right? And obviously that's changed, and it's changed to where now it's one man. He's the primary owner. He's not exclusively the owner, but he's the primary owner, right, the majority owner for sure. And the thing that I think is if I'm a, if I'm a hardcore jazz fan, I try to put myself in that position. It's hard for me to do at the end of the day, as Donovan Mitchell would say, because I'm not, and I don't have that lifelong passion. It's like it's not really in my DNA, as the jazz folks like to say with the jazz DNA. But there's so many we know, our neighbor across the street, our neighbor next door. You know, you and I, we've come to know so many people, people who we work with, that that's who they are. And they're hardcore, man, and they want this team to win so bad. And the reason why I think this is a good thing is because, to me, it is a small example. Maybe it's major to some people, but for me it's a small example of the owner who's willing to do some different things to try to help this team win and win it all and stay competitive. There's one thing you want off the bat. You want the team to be in the hunt every year, right? That's that's the, the first and primary goal. Now, secondly, of course, you want them to win it all at some point. But in order to win it all at some point, you've got to be in the hunt, right? Because if you're not in the hunt, you're not going to win it all. So you wanted the team to be competitive, to do whatever it takes to be competitive, each season now he inherited a competitive team so for the time being the team is going to be competitive but what can he do and if he's willing to change the logo and change the colors which for some people that would be viewed as a radical drastic move not for me personally but for some people and i understand how they would view that if he's willing to do that then he's willing to do whatever it takes to be able to have the team be competitive and be in the hunt. They were in the hunt last year. Now, this is his first full season owning the team, and he's spending a bundle of cash to have this team be in the hunt. We'll see how it plays out over the course of 82 and in the postseason, right? So the point is that, to me, if he wants to do this with the logo and he's willing to get that far down the totem pole, then all the things between the logo and trying to win a title, he's also willing to do. And as a fan, to me, that's a good thing. Ryan, Larry's with you here. He says, Ryan Smith is putting his own stamp on the team, and I'm fine with it. We've heard anything talking to people inside the organization it's that they are being told in multiple departments on multiple employees, multiple fronts, don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to do something different. What's the next new big idea? I mean, it comes from a tech background, and that whole industry has gotten where it's gotten, which is basically completely changing American life. Well, not even just American life, changing life everywhere by thinking that way. 
Try to do something different. Try to do something new. If it doesn't work, move on to the next new big idea. And this really, in that, if you put it in that framework, this isn't radical at all. Teams have changed colors before. The Jazz have changed colors. we got multiple people posting here. Hey, everybody has alternate jerseys. Everybody's wearing lots of colors. At this point, you know, what's one more? They've worn blue. They've worn purple. They've worn green. They've worn gold. Then they went with the City Edition, which introduced yellow, orange, and red. I mean, really, what haven't they worn at this point? Black, silver, black, silver, gray, something like that, so they hit the black. They yeah, haven't but I worn... don't know that that's the situation here, though. Is it, It's not going to be part of many. It's going to be one. This is going to be the new thing. It's not going to be one of many, right? Yes, but in the NBA, it's never really gone. You know, when they went away from the jazz note to the mountain logo... Well, they circled back around later to the jazz note. And when the mountain logo went away, well, then they circled around yeah, later with they. the That's not him, so you don't know that. You keep going on they. They are, yep. they are gone now. They are gone, but I expect he will circle back around too, because when you have more looks, you have a chance to sell more jerseys, you have a chance to sell more T-shirts. So I expect they will circle around. Now, how long before they circle around? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm not going to assume that. Jake says it's definitely something boomer, boomers will have a problem with. Boomers going to have a problem boomers. with it? Boomers. Old people. Baby boomers. Not Ron Boone. Oh, I thought boomers. it was either. I thought you were talking about the Australian national team. Oh, Ron Boone. Nice. <laughs> nice. No, I think he's talking about baby boomers. Oh, I didn't. Actually, I honestly didn't catch that. Baby boomers. Yeah, baby boomers. boomers. I, I thought, who are boomers? <laughs> I, I thought of the Australian national team. Now, you misspoke and you said boomers, so I made I a did. joke on that. Yes. But when you said boomers, I actually, actually thought, thought Australia. I did, yeah. I thought, Joe's, what? Joe's having an impact on you. He'd be happy with that. <laughs> well, they got one of those dudes as a minority owner for Australia, and I thought, I don't get it. <laughs> Robert says, my favorite is the City Edition, but I don't really care. It's all about the product on the floor. really is. This is the perfect time to have this discussion. The preseason, a week between the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season, this is the time to talk about it. Because if they open up 5-0, and or they open up 0-5, that'll be the biggest thing, even with 77 games to go. Well, that will dominate the discussion. No, I wouldn't think so either. They may open 5-0. and They might be like what BYU did. Nice. <laughs> All right, Yak, we got to go to the phones. Yox says, buckle up. Rick is making an early appearance. All right, Rick. Take, take uh, I a thought deep you breath. guys were talking about my dog, Boomer, the Australian Shepherd. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, all right, so what do you guys think of the Jazz this year as far as record? A little better, a little worse, or the same? Uh, similar winning percentage, I think, uh, because they played 10 fewer games last year. They finished, I think, with 52 wins. So, similar winning percentage, maybe a little less. What was the winning was percentage a, last year? I'll have to look up the number for you. I don't have it off the top of because my head. Because we were a healthy team last year, right? Other than yeah. Conley, but Until the last, I think we were I mean, one of the healthiest teams. Yeah, Don, I mean, Donovan missed the last like 15 games, something like that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, I'm thinking, I mean, honestly, those last two playoff games, 
were some of the two worst defenses I've seen any team for anybody ever in the playoffs. I mean, it was pathetic. So it's what I good defense. If we didn't have Rudy, you know, we're a top five defensive team. Without Rudy, I think we're one of the three worst defensive teams. That's how much he, he covers. And now Royce. Now Royce is a lot like Clay Thompson. He plays defense with his feet and high effort. But he's not a steals and a, a block shot guy, and he's getting older. So I think you should trade Bogey with Royce, now that we got this kid who looks really good, and get an athletic young wing like Mann or, or something like that or a Beasley who can play D and hit the three. Because, as I said two years ago, our replacement guys are redundant. You, you don't take Joe Ingles out and put a Bogey in. They're the same thing. They're slow white guys who can knock down the three. You got to have pull the shooter out for the defender and you know what we need to play D right now so let's get him off or you know uh, we need to sit on a lead and get some defenders out there we just can't do that basically we know we're the best shooting team and we just try to outshoot teams and that's not what a good playoff team does you got to defend your position and right now we have one guy who can defend his position Donovan could if he didn't have to carry the load and shoot the most difficult shots in the NBA. For some reason, he doesn't like bunnies. He's got to make everything a 10.0 degree of difficulty shot. And it's mostly because he jumps off of two legs instead of running past people. You know, Rick, I really thought you were going to come in here and talk uniforms, and now you're getting all hardcore and breaking it down. You're throwing me curveballs here, Rick. <laughs> I like the, the black and the brown uniform. <laughs> and I love, I like the old mountain blue and white ones. Okay. All right. Old school right there. All right. Thanks for the call, Rick. We appreciate it. I don't know about going back to defensive stuff, PK. That's what they were doing a couple years ago, and that led to a first-round exit a couple times. Oh, why'd you have to bring up that? (laughs) Because it seemed (laughs) to be on point. I would take uh, under, to Rick's original point, I would take the under on last year. They won 72% of their games. That would be 59 wins. Sitting here right now, do I think they're going to be a 60-win team? Well, it's it's in the realm, but if I had to guess right now, I would take under 59, not over. I want to see them get slow black guys who can shoot the three. (laughs) <laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> well, he mentioned slow white guys. I, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That is that's an unusual combination. Slow black guys who can shoot the three, right? We stereotype the slow white guy who could shoot the three. I want the slow black guy who could shoot the three. Let's be different, right? Ryan Smith is about being different and being innovative. That would be different and innovative, wouldn't it? The slow black guy who can shoot the three. Then there's a chance you could go out and get a guy who is, uh, to go back to your, uh, your point from the last segment, just get more guys who have elite athleticism and elite skill. Oh, yeah, sure. Because yeah, right, that's right. when you get what people really want, which is a trophy. And they can wear any color jersey they want if they're going to go up and down State Street in a parade with a trophy. So, yes, and I would advise all you guys... Get the most beautiful woman you can marry who also is low-maintenance and is extremely rich. They're a dime a dozen, aren't they? There you go. 
<laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> find someone. My, my advice to you is find someone that uh, you can be friends with for the rest of your life because all that other stuff is going to fade eventually. And if she's your friend, you got a shot. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you can't have everything here. So, yeah, find, find the guys who have athlete, uh, elite athleticism and uh, are uh, great uh, skill players. There are just not that many out there. So I, I'm, I'm optimistic Highly, op- I'm at least as optimistic about last this season's team as I was about last season's regular season team. I, I don't see any reason for a big drop off. Maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm off base. But I think this team is better this year than it was last year. See, DJ and PK, we have plenty of time to discuss and debate that. We do have another question about two big football games this weekend. We will get to that coming up. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and twelve eighty the zone. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. You know I was babysat until 8th grade. Dolores Arnold used to babysit me every day after school. And Dolores? Her husband. Yeah. Look how you got like 220-pound 8th grade hands. Would Can we not focus on that? You're like, hey, Dolores. Hi, Hans. I think it's funny the thought of a 8th grade Hans Olsen probably pushing two bills. He's <laughs> sitting in and being babysat. You guys let me know when you're done so I can finish my story. Tell us more about Dolores. Anyways, her husband died. Don liked MASH. Sit next to Don on the couch watching MASH. Hey, <laughs> Don, you can-, can I borrow your shaver? <laughs> Catch Hans and Scotty every day. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, PK, we'll get to the football in a minute because people got on Twitter after what you said, and here we go. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Yes. <laughs> Greg D., I like the bold strategy, PK, but Eddie House and C.J. Miles are not walking through that door. <laughs> oh, get the, get the, the slow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was well played, Greg. Well played. Uh, we got, <laughs> Nate, man, this is this has been a storyline and will continue to be one. Nate says, "Colors, who cares? I can't even watch the games." Thanks, Dish. That will remain a topic of conversation. Distribution of games and TV channels, networks. It's been a story since the mountain launched. I don't even know what that was. Was that like 2003 or something like that? I don't think it launched with the conference, did it? No, it was 2000. We're getting bogged down. What the hell difference does it make? All right, it's 15 years of this. (laughs) We can go through multiple networks. 15 years of this. And here's one I really don't get. Chippianitis says, Ryan Smith's going to screw things up. Because of changing the color scheme? No, I don't think that's it. The politics? What? I don't know. Bringing in Dwayne Wade, that is like the boldest, most different, most unexpected kind of news. And now Donovan Mitchell, who's been compared to Dwayne Wade, who is the perfect age to idolize Dwayne Wade, while a lot of jazz fans, who you and I have both heard from tons of people, worried about what Donovan's going to do when he gets to his third contract, even though he's just starting his second contract, Donovan goes over to Dwayne Wade after games and asks about the next week and how he should approach the season, and they're they're walking off, you know, arms around shoulders and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so? It seems like he's making whatever bold move he can make to get whatever edge he can make, 
And that one, whether it works out or not, is still years away from finding out for sure. But that doesn't seem like someone who's on track to screw things up. You don't know. <laughs> well, that's why I said seems. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy to just be all positive towards the guy. Rah, rah, way to go. Uh, but you don't know that. I mean, Dwayne Wade, great. And at the same time, they had Stockton talk to Hayward, and Hayward wanted out. Yep. But that's doing a smart thing. That's not screwing it up, and people are free agents yeah, are going to want what know. they want. If it doesn't lend, lend to Mitchell staying, then what difference does it make? It's not screwing things up. It's trying to get every edge you can, even if you don't get the result you want. Bringing Stockton in was a smart thing to do, even though that wasn't the result people wanted. It was still the smart thing to do. It wasn't screwing it up. Hayward's a free agent. He gets to do whatever he wants. Yeah, but then if he leaves, then you've got to find somebody else, and maybe you screw it up there. You think somebody is really good. You draft Kwame Brown. Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time, and he's drafting Adam Morrison with the third pick and Kwame Brown with the first pick. So uh, you have no idea if Michael Jordan can screw it up. Certainly this guy could. Not saying he will. My saying I don't know. I can't tell you what's going to happen five years down the road, nor do I care. This team is built to win this year. What are we I'm worried about when the mountain started? Now I'm worried about what happens in 2027. How about we worry about now? Well, we got a week. Then we'll worry about now. Right now we got a week. To now is now. Here. Now is always now. Now and will never not be now. This weekend, big games. Now there are big games right in front of the Utes and Cougars. Is this the week we find out who they really are? We will get to that next. Stay with us. Join Hanson Scotty Friday at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy for the Utah Snowmobile Show. See the latest in sleds, trailers, and gear. Big weekend for Utah and BYU. The football team's gearing up for huge games for the Utes. First place in the Pac-12 South on the line at Arizona State for BYU. A couple of 5-1 and one teams squaring off, future conference opponents. As BYU will join the Big 12 in another two seasons. It'll be playing Baylor every year. Is this the week we find out how good BYU and Utah really are? Oh, well, yuck, man. Yacht just has some mojo by playing Jimmy Eat World, a band that was founded in Mesa, Arizona. All oh, the Sun Devils are going to win. It's in the cards. <laughs> they also so happened to be in town last night for a concert. Jimmy Eat World. I don't know. That's a lot to eat. You know, maybe half the world, but if you're going to eat the entire world. Hey, don't write yourself off yet. Uh, from Arizona, my friends. Arizona's just invading the Wasatch Front this week. But will they leave with the victory? Will they leave with first place in the Pac-12 South? Arizona State. Right. Did Jimmy Eat World? They left with the victory. It's a harbinger of things to come. Aha! (laughs) Jimmy Eat World, you think of this, you know, alternative punk band and they've been around for almost 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. Yeah, I think they started like 1994 or something. <laughs> and they were rebels. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. 
Okay. <laughs> time goes by. Time just blows by. Jimmy Eat World is already, uh, they're approaching their 30th decade or their third decade uh, as uh, an entertainment act and still going. Good for them. Good, good to hear that. But, yeah, this is a huge opportunity for the Utes to really assert themselves. Uh, in a sense, they haven't proven anything, even though they're 2-0. and And this will go a long way towards saying, yep, you have proved something. I mean, we were talking about this yesterday, and, and you were off, and I wanted to go have this discussion with you uh, to see what you think about it because it's such a big deal that I think it can uh, linger on for a second day, the discussion they're in for sure, because people say, oh, well, they proved last week. Eh, not so much. I mean, that, that, that was a beaten team, the Trojans. They're not playing for anything. 100%. It was Utah's best win, without question. And we just had that Kyle Whittingham bite about 10 minutes ago. The offense looked much better. But there are clearly better teams than USC out there on their schedule. USC's three conference losses underline that. I mean, who doesn't put 40 on SC's defense? <laughs> Everybody who goes into the Coliseum does that. Really? Stanford. Check. <laughs> right. Oregon State. Yeah. Check. So you can say it's their best win. I, I, actually, I view it's, it's their better win because I don't count Weber State. Of course, you're supposed to win. So you only really got two to choose from. So it's a better win than Washington State. Sure. And certainly if you get this one Saturday and there's no reason why you don't, then it'll be your best win. Is this the week we find out how good BYU and Utah really are? As much as there can be a week, I'll go with this. You're judged on all 12 games. So I don't know that any one win is going to establish that. You've got to follow it up with more. Right. But if you get this win, then we will all expect them to get those wins. Whereas if they don't get this win, then we're not so sure going into each week. So I disagree with that. Any one win can set the tone for your season. Yes, you have to follow it up, but it can set the tone as far as who you are and what's the level of the quality of your team. So I disagree completely that any one win can't do it. But if yes, they, in this situation, it can. But if they beat ASU and then they lose to Oregon State, which could happen, and going into UCLA, we're going to have all the same questions all over again. Right, but then that's the point, is that they're expected to win. Whereas if they win, if they lose, then we don't know if they're expected to win. That's the point I'm making. So, yeah, sure. Doesn't guarantee anything, but it's about setting a level of expectation. You've proven now that you're a quality team. You can beat a ranked team. You haven't come close to beating a ranked team. You, You only played one and you lost. So now you get another shot at it. And see what you can do here. And and San Jose State's ranked now, too, so they weren't at the time, but they are now. So the two teams that have been, were, or are ranked, you lost to. So this is gigantic. And then if you win, then you're expected to win next week. And then at that point, you get there, and then you are, you are ranked. And then it's Katie bar the door. Good night, Irene. See you later, Sally. Of course they would beat UC Los Angeles at that point. Absolutely they would. Come on. Is this the week we find out how good BYU and Utah really are? Ryan says, nope, that was last weekend. No, that wasn't, Ryan. What the hell did you do that hasn't been done multiple times? He's a Ute, and he just wants to get after BYU PK. I don't think he's making a serious point. I've I've seen his stuff out there. Nope. 
Beating a crappy SC team? We're going to run around? That's the big deal? We beat our rival that they don't even acknowledge your existence, let alone whether you're a rival? Uh, and you're, you're the third team to go in that venue and hammer them. whoop de do. Eldon says, we find that out every week. Why should this one be special? I already told you. <laughs> Pay attention to Baylor, what I tell you. Baylor, best team left on BYU's schedule. Uh, I don't know that. We talked about that possibly. Yes, I made that point, but you were gone yesterday, so I want to get your thought on that so you can say that. But before we leave uh, Utah and SC, if you lose to ASU, that's another thing. You couldn't beat BYU, and then you couldn't beat the team that BYU beat? Oh, Maron. Maron! (laughs) Baylor could be the best team on BYU's schedule. Don't know enough about them. Do know that they play a tough schedule. Well, USC's a mess. And Washington State has been up and down. Now, you could argue that Washington State, with their quarterback back, that they are really going to get it rolling. And maybe in a month, everyone will be talking about Washington State very differently because they'll make themselves impossible to ignore. You know, are they going to build on that Oregon State win? Or is it going to be up and down for them? What you don't want is to have to beat Virginia on a last-second field goal because that's the only way Virginia wins these days. <laughs> is the other team misses a last-second, literal last-play field goal, and then Virginia won, wins. I think that's how they won their last couple of ball games. So you certainly don't want that. Miami and Louisville on the road. They skate both times. Yeah, how about that? You want to beat them by 20 like Wake and North Carolina did. Thump them. Freaking uh, Bronco Mendenhall's field goal defense has been awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And that could be a tough game, too. It could be, but I would think that going to Baylor would be tougher than waiting for Virginia to come cross-country in the middle of their conference season and play you in front of your packed stadium at Elevation. Sure, but that could be a tough game. It may not be tougher, but it could still be a tough game. Agreed. Could be. Yeah. The schedule is good enough to where it has intrigue. You know, Georgia Southern and Idaho State, okay, not so much. But the other other games at least have some level of intrigue. And I believe SC, particularly if Jackson Dart is playing, can give them a shot in the arm. And uh, something we'll have to see as he progresses from the, the knee injury that he had. And this one time when he played against uh, Washington State. So they may have some revitalization there at that point. Remains to be seen. But nevertheless, the task at hand, this is a big-time game. Baylor's 5-1. and one. You know, the only loss they have is to, what, an 11th or 12th-ranked uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State, who's undefeated yeah. and looks good. Who's undefeated, right. so come on. And, and, and the Iowa State win's a good win. Yeah. Well, it's like love. Any win's a good win. Any love is good love. So I took what I could get. So you got that thing going on there. And they need to go on the road, a real true road game. You know, they played a Utah State, in-state game. This is going to be in foreign territory where they're going to be in a couple of years. So big-time game for them. They need a bounce back because that was not a good performance. They give credit to the Utes. The Utes have bounced back. You know, they didn't pack it in. They bounced back. That's what's exciting about them is that 
they did bounce back after a miserable non-conference. And it wasn't the best game that they played against Washington State, but they still managed to get it. And then Utah or uh, SC, they rolled them. And sure, Utah or SC, I don't know why I keep saying Utah State, but SC sucked. So what do you do against a team that sucks? You hammer them. And they did. They took the life right out of them, made them quit, as Kyle once said in the locker room. And yeah. they did do that. So there should be all sorts of optimism for them. BYU needs a bounce-back game because, obviously, that was their worst performance of the season. Uncharacteristic. Did not see that coming. Don't prove to me that you can rally because virtually every season is going to have some level of negative and some level of adversity. It's what you do. It's happened to Ohio State and Alabama. So why shouldn't it happen to BYU, right? When you look at it from that perspective, I mean, two of the best, if not the best programs that we have in college football right now, they've both suffered a loss. And so we'll see what Alabama does here because their loss was last week. Ohio State has just went out and pulverized everybody that they've played since then, conference opponents that weren't expected to be as good. But nevertheless, they creamed them if you go look at the scores. So what's going to happen to BYU now? What do you got? Now's the time. Things are going well, sure. Everybody can be front runners. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. What do you do when it's not that way? How do you rebound? Jaron Hall's ready to go. Aaron Roderick talking about him being 100% healthy. And with that's a great opportunity because he needs to use his legs to be able to help the team win because he's an incredible athlete. And so not just the passer. He can throw the ball for sure, but he's got to use all the skills that he has. And we didn't see that very much against Boise. I think against Baylor, he's going to need to do that. So I'm excited for them to see what they got. 130 for Baylor and BYU, a couple of 5-1 and one teams. And 10-2 and two is in play for BYU. Double-digit win seasons always sound good. Oh, they absolutely do. There's just no question about that. And that gives them even more momentum. And they're getting guys, I understand, Ben Moa's kid flipped from Utah to BYU, uh, whatever that means. I, I don't I don't never seen the kid play, but I heard that. And I think Dick Harmon wrote about it is where I saw it in the Deseret News. And so that's giving them momentum. That's the thing about it, man. You're never just playing for now. You're always playing for down the road too, to build some momentum. And they've built some momentum. For a while there, they didn't have any momentum. For a while there, it wasn't cool to go to BYU. No. Why would you want to do that? They're a middling program in an, uh, playing in a middling bowl game that they know they're going to play in after their first loss. And we've heard all those negatives. Well, those are all gone now, right? You're building some big-time momentum. Keep it going. If you find a way to win 10 ball games this season after last year and you play seven P5 teams, we can't go, yeah, but. The proverbial yeah, but that BYU's always had to deal with, that's out the window. And then you return a lot of guys going to the next season. You bring a ton of momentum going into the Big 12 in 2023 if you can take care of business this year. Because if you get 10 wins this year, then I can logically conclude that next year will be pretty good, too. Thirty makes sense. Thirty wins in three years going into the Big Twelve. Nice round number. Are they going to win? Can ask more. For, ask for more. Uh, you may well get more. But thirty I don't wins. Think you can ask for more. If you had thirty wins in three years going into the conference, I sign off on that every single time. Yes, that means you have some losses along yes, the way. But you're going to have losses along the way. Exactly. I mean, to your point is like. 
okay, Ohio State and Alabama lost games. You got to bounce back. Clemson lost. They don't lose very often, and then they lost a second game. You know, they haven't solved their offensive issues. Now, your issues are different than their issues. Your issues were putting the we're turning the ball over, putting it on the ground, and not getting any takeaways. It's not just the fumbles, although those are the glaring moments. But when you're good, you're getting the takeaways, and you didn't get any in that game. So it's the two things. Stop giving it away and start taking it away again. Yeah. But I think 30 wins in three years, those, those are big round numbers. Recruits will like the way that sounds. The fan base will be packing the stadium. You'll have the game day environment that you want for that game and to recruit the next round of guys. And it's, it's within reach. And they're 16-2 and two in their last 18, even with that disappointment last weekend. Right. Because it stands to reason Bronco Mendenhall had four double-digit win seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Right at the end there. And yeah. then they go into Independence. And they sort of were – they dropped off. There's no question. Some seasons were a big drop-off. Others weren't quite as good. But there was no doubt it was a drop. And there was a negative vibe around the program because your own coach was saying independence isn't sustainable. And then he got out. He didn't get out exclusively for that reason. There was a bunch of reasons he got out, and good for him. Uh, But it's not like he was enthralled with independence. He'd made that known, right? He made that known in an interview, I think, most uh, right off the bat, uh, most notably with the Austin American Statesman. And then everybody picked up on it. And here, Kalani's fi- hired as in knowing you're independent. And the program, a uh, nice season, and then not so much. Now, stands to reason, if you can pull off three double-digit win seasons as an independent, your recruiting is only going to increase. It, it, there's no way it decreases. There's just no way. And then you can hit the ground running. So these games, they're not just important for now. They're important for down the line. Coming up, Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz, is going to join us at 8.30. David Smoke, host on Sikkim 365 Radio, will join us at 9.05. And we will find out more about the Baylor Bears and the big game this weekend. Bowler is coming up next with the preseason games in the books and the regular season starting at home with Oklahoma City on Wednesday. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 to zone. This, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. You know I was babysat until 8th grade. Dolores Arnold used to babysit me every day after school. And Dolores? Her husband. Yeah. Look, he got like 220-pound 8th grade hands. <laughs> Can we not focus group? on that? You walk in like, hey, Dolores. Hi, Hans. I think it's funny the thought of a 8th grade Hans Olsen probably pushing two bills. He's <laughs> sitting in and being babysat. You guys let me know when you're done <laughs> so I can finish my story. Tell us more about Dolores. Anyways, her husband, Don, liked MASH. Sitting next to Don on the couch watching MASH. Hey, (laughs) Don, can I borrow your shaver? (laughs) Catch Hans and Scotty every day. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! We're going blood, sweat, and tears now. <laughs> Jimmy Eat World of blood, sweat, and tears. You never know what Yach's going to do. You just never know. He doesn't tell us. We just hear what we hear. He's doing his own thing. 
So, PK, yesterday you hit one of my favorite topics while I wasn't here. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, you're what led to that? Soon. Because uh, Riley Jensen, I had asked him, hey, I said, you want to come in because DJ has some personal stuff he's got to take care of. And he said he's really swamped. He's got professional responsibilities. And in, earlier in the morning, one of the things he had with his young daughter was daddy-daughter donut day at school. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so that led to a on. discussion on donuts, obviously, in my wheelhouse. <laughs> well, yeah, you like to have some fun. And he's a great guy to talk to. He knows sports and he knows the psychological aspect of it because that's where his training is. And then so we went through all that. Very good interview. Go listen to it at 1280thezone.com. And then I asked him uh, about his favorite donut. And I came down with uh, what I have uh, glazed uh, jelly or chocolate. Yeah. Put it on Twitter, and of course, you could have the most interesting uh, <laughs> sports, sports broadcasting ever. take ever, and yeah, that's nice, but once you bring up something stupid, you get all sorts of responses. It must have been 70, 80 responses. One of them was mine, chocolate people. I heard the maple bar discussion. I could walk right past a maple bar. It doesn't bother me at all. Nope. <laughs> so you ain't in a, not so, interested. Not you're, interested. Not, you're not going get, to get a cougar tail down at BYU. That's what we're going to say. Not interested. Okay. Cougar tails and maple bar? A gigantic, like, oversized one. Nope. Not doing it. For whatever reason, my dad was very into donuts. He had a couple of good donut shops, and so my, my love of donuts goes to him, right? News. Yeah. And he used to love the bear claws. And I had some of those, and I'm like, yeah, I don't get that. I don't get that. Jelly feels good. I'd be right there for that. But chocolate is probably my first pick. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and it's time to bring in the TV voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Bowlerjack. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Let's get Bowler in for some donut talk. Bowler, oh. how are you? Oh, donuts. Yeah. You guys, Elsie, in the Midwest, we call those caramel long johns. What? Yeah. What? What? I've never heard yeah. that. You never heard of a long john? No. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like a, so a maple bar would be a caramel long john? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'd walk yeah. past that too then. <laughs> you can have mine, Bowler. Not my thing. Uh, let's see. I like the old fashioned. Yeah. I'll fight you over that. Yep. I'd go for that in a big time. And if it's a good um, apple fritter, it has to be kind of done right, you know. Uh, I'd go for an apple fritter. Old-fashioned, long john, and uh, an apple fritter. <laughs> long john, that's classic. <laughs> All right, Buller, let's, uh, let's talk a little Utah Jazz basketball. I think there are uh, two questions in my mind, but other people probably have others. There's, there's two that jump out at me. One could not be answered because Rudy Gay can't go yet until he recovers from the heel surgery. How much he'll be used, how he'll be used uh, in combination with which other players, how often will they go small, all those questions we can just push down the road. We'll get to them later when he can play. Then the other thing is, man, Butler looks good. 
Who does he play with? How often does he play? Does he play when Conley is out? Does anyone else get minutes when Conley is out? How do those shift around? What is the immediate future for Butler in the Jazz rotation? I don't know that we have answers, but we can at least have semi-educated guesses, even if they're wrong. What's your semi-educated guess? Well, the semi-educated guess would be that he would be in the second unit rotation at the moment. Trent Forrest, before the concussion on Monday night, uh, was battling Jared Butler for some of those minutes or those minutes as well. But with, uh, you know, Trent out under the NBA concussion protocol, I mean, the door opens for Jared Butler and he's taking advantage of and showing what really why he's an NCAA champion and led, uh, led the Baylor Bears to the title. I'm impressed. I mean, in the three games he's played, um, he's done about everything that you could imagine a rookie could do. I like the fact that last night uh, he led Utah back uh, after trailing by eight down the stretch, and uh, the Jazz were able to to rally back and grab a four-point win. And during that time, uh, Budenholzer really went with his starters most of the second half while the Jazz set. Uh, Mike and Donovan, Rudy and Royce and Bogdanovich. So, hats off to the younger younger players uh, to to really just refocus and bounce back and get a win last night uh, because it was their game in the second half. So, can we say that Jared Butler has demanded and earned playing time, and that he must receive it? Well, that's Quinn's. Quinn's ultimate decision, but for my chair, I mean, I think what everyone has seen is that he's a talented guy. Hard to, you know what it does, PK, is he has worked hard enough to show, I think, most of us or all of us that he deserves time. So, um, the way he ran, I mean, the offense last night and just was able to stay cool and calm and do his thing and help the team. Uh, you know, we interviewed him after the game last night and you know, he made it very clear that he, he feels like he's earned the the, the right, um, I mean, 18 points and seven assists. He fouled out, if I'm not mistaken, what was it, the last couple of minutes of the ball game. So, Macy Oteague, his, his college uh, teammate, had to kind of take over and continue the, the quest of getting the win. But, you know, he averaged 19 points, nearly 19 points in the preseason in the three games. And, I mean, you guys saw what I saw. He seems to have play at his own pace. Uh, he made a very clear last night that he understands he has to continue to get his teammates involved. And I thought he did a good job overall. Um, and he's got a nice shot. Uh, he seems to, again, play with a chip on his shoulders, he told us, uh, because of health concerns. He's slipped down to 40 in the draft and the Jazz are right there to take him. And I, uh, I've i been impressed with the way he's played and, what he, and the way he's handled himself so far. So if the Jazz stay healthy, the yes. rotation is largely set. We know who these guys are, with the exception of you know what will Butler be like in the regular season and how exactly does Rudy Gay fit. But we kind of have an idea in those. But... If they do go through a series of injuries, which happens to multiple teams, there are other people that will need to be called on. Nobody's redshirting here, as Jerry Sloan once said. Their check's clear on the 1st and 15th. <laughs> if, if circumstances demand it, and they got to go way down the bench, is somebody like Hughes ready to contribute over the course of a week, a month, whatever situations you know, dictate? We've heard a lot about kind of a lost year 
for guys, young guys, uh, depending on their draft class, first, second year guys who should be developing and then COVID, it was just odd with no G League to develop and fewer games and all that kind of stuff. Where is Hughes right now? I think he's made a jump, but you make a great point. I think uh, Azubuki and Hughes and uh, and others lost a lot of you know a lot of playing time. Azubuki, of course, uh, had the ankle injury in the G League bubble and basically lost a year, uh, his rookie year. So, um, you know, I think he's still developing. The beauty of it is the Jazz have Hassan Whiteside, who's slowly adapting to a new system, which gives. Doke the opportunity to continue to develop, but that's what you know. That's the direction that Jazz feels best for him. I think Hughes has has proven a lot about size, shooting ability. Uh, there's another guy that's kind of jumped out at and, and spurts, and, and Malik Fitz uh, has that NBA look at six eight, about two twenty five. Play at St. Mary's. Um, yeah, I think there's two or three players, and Trent Forrest is in that group as well, who played really well in the summer league. Uh, and in Vegas, uh, not only in Salt Lake, but in, in Vegas as well. So I think depth is what the Jazz went after. I think they got it. Uh, I think there's a couple of intriguing young players there that could jump on the floor and help if needed. But you make a great point, DJ. It is about health. It's about health for the Lakers and the Suns and Chris Paul, who was healthy during that finals run last year. Can he stay healthy? Can Mike's hamstring, uh, you know, not flare up as he, you know, said he's been doing yoga and hot Bikram, uh, all the above, trying to change or strengthen his body as he gets older. But you saw what happened uh, with Donovan and Mike's problems in the second round, from first to second round, and you know everyone talks about, well, what if? Well, you can't live in the past. I mean, I think the Jazz have gone, have already worked past that, and are pushing ahead to make this a special year. And let's hope it happens. I mean. This is a special group, and they all talked about it the last few days about the window. Uh, you know, it does open for a while, and it's still open wide. Um, you know, there's a lot of talent there, and uh, if you can stay healthy, I think the Jazz will be right in the mix of it all. People look towards the Lakers as being a contender, a lot of star power, obviously older star power, and it's a team that is new because they're adding a bunch of pieces, and obviously Westbrook is a major one. So if them, not necessarily they're exclusively a competitor to the Jazz to get the best seed in the West, I don't think so. I think the Suns are there, and we'll see about some other teams too down the road. It's a long season. But the point I'm making is you listen to LeBron, you listen to Westbrook, and they're talking about, hey, they're going to need some adjustment time. And I buy that completely because I don't think you can just get guys together, roll out the ball, and away you go. Now, from the Jazz perspective, how much do you think they can take advantage of the Lakers needing time because the Jazz, with the core returning, should be able to get off to a pretty good start? Yeah, I totally agree with the analogies of um, the, uh, the, the old guys, right? Um, you know, PK, I think, too, their biggest issue is the transition of multiple players and different, uh, different styles of play. Where's Westbrook and his leadership? I just don't know how that's going to work out. And does Anthony Davis buy into Westbrook? Uh, I don't know. It's going to be it's the storyline in the West, in my opinion, to start the season. And to your point, Utah's got to play a lot of road, road games early. But um, teams that have and, and Sloan used to talk about this too, in the likes of John and Carl and that core they had for such a long time. 
they usually got off to good starts and they pad their ability if they struggle or or you know have an injury or two uh, in the in those days uh, how the how you overcome it with depth and getting back to DJ's point I think the Jazz have set themselves up with even Pascal showing his ability to, to adjust and actually has shown some three-point ability uh, in the preseason, which I didn't know if he had or not. Uh, but he understood. I remember he told us that he had to hit threes to fit into this into this team. And so far, so good. But it's about the road. You know, the road is, is staring the Jazz right in the face, despite the fact they get a home opener against OKC. But, you know, you get one in Sacramento, then you go to Houston, uh, who's on a total rebuild. Chicago has new faces. I'm looking, then a, then a road game at Milwaukee. You come home for one, and then you go to Atlanta, Miami, Orlando, and then you start to really flatten out and get a ton of home games uh, throughout the month of November. So you get through that opener, and you get a couple of games above 500, and then you take advantage of the home crowd, which is the best in the NBA, according to the GM survey, and I can't argue that. That's where you have to take advantage, PK, of, of the core, right? You, you own your home floor, as the Jazz did most of last year, and then make a run and go. I mean, that's kind of the way it should be, and I think it will be. So when we look around the West, you know, there's a lot of teams that could evolve, and we don't know what's going to happen the trade deadline. But what about, and I know the Lakers are the storyline, but what about the other team in L.A.? They're the ones who knocked the Jazz out of the playoffs. Yeah. And Locke did tell us all during the year he thought about how good he thought the Clippers were. Now, ultimately, they didn't get to the finals either, but... I think to his bigger point about how they match up with the Jazz, I don't, I don't think that's changed. I mean, you can say they're missing their star player Kawhi Leonard, but they're missing their star player Kawhi Leonard in games five and six when the sure. series was two two and on the line, and they got the two wins they needed, and they sent the Jazz home. So, from the Jazz fan perspective, isn't this still about the Clippers until we see them get over that hurdle? Well, you know. DJ, I think, too, for, for the fan base is that they see the changes that Justin Zanuck made in the offseason to, to be able to battle that type of small ball approach. And, you know, that's what I'm anxious to see is how it works out. You make a point earlier about Rudy Gay. I mean, there that's the question that I have is where is he at uh, in his career and how does he fit in the jazz scheme? Uh, he's gone through multiple walkthroughs, and I think he adjusts you know, I think he'll make the adjustment. But, you know, is he a combo, defensive, offensive uh, player? He has that ability, but he's also long and play some, can still play some D, which is why the Jazz, you know, even Eric Paschal is the same thing. You know, he's a big body at 6'6 and 265 and can, can move better than I thought. So, you know, there's options. I don't think the Jazz had that many options last year. And I, I think it really flared up and showed itself in that second round series with the Clippers. Uh, can they compete with L.A.? They're good. Kawhi, I doubt we see him. I mean, even though they say it's a partial tear of the ACL, it's still an ACL. And with his star power, you don't rush anybody back. And we know his history, right, in San Antonio. So, um, yeah, there's every night. I, you made you, you made the the, uh, the comment about the Suns. They're good. They're really good. And if Chris Paul stays healthy, they're real, real good. If not, they just become kind of a, a dangerous team on some given nights. But Chris Paul was healthy throughout the year, which I didn't think he would be. 
uh, but he got through the playoffs, which is a rarity. And Dallas is another team that kind of intrigues me, just if Porzingis can stay healthy, which he's never been able to do, to complement Doncic, who's an incredible, you know, incredible player, as we know. So, you know, there's there's multiple teams out there in the West, in Portland. I don't know. You know what? If Portland doesn't make a move, you may see that Damian Lillard may may move right before the trade deadline. That'll be something to keep an eye on with the Blazers. But I still think the Jazz are are, are built now much better than they were just a short time ago. And not a knock on George Niang or, or Derek Favors, but uh, if Hassan Whiteside can adjust, they've got two of the you know the two of the best uh, or the best uh, rim protectors in the NBA. So their defense stays solid. Hopefully Hassan. Uh, can find some offensive bounce at the rim. And how about Rudy's uh, 15-foot jumper last night? Wow, I about fell out of my chair. But I've seen him do it <laughs> in practice. Uh, I've seen him hit threes. So we'll see where, <laughs> see, see where that takes us, right? So as you said, the storylines are lining up already. And the first one I think we do look at is that Laker team. And can they coexist? Multiple personalities. Um and West, and to me, Russell Westbrook is the one that intrigues me the most. Can he actually? He didn't get along, uh, obviously, uh, in Houston, and you know Washington was a quick stop pit. Um, I just don't know how LeBron and AD will be able to handle him. We'll see. We'll see. So you got a week off before they play. Do you know what their schedule is going to be? Today's a day off, and I think they just start. You know getting back and staying in shape, PK. I mean, I weeks, you know, you think about a couple of days is a good thing. A week off uh, is, is longer than you think at times, especially when you keep your body in shape and NBA ready. But I think Quinn's got a plan. Again, uh, sometimes the day is, you know, take what you need, meaning work on what you need to do. And I think the Jazz will have a few of those. They'll probably run through some weekend practices. They have to make some cuts. Uh, and then – you know, get at what they want to do and the rotations that Quinn Snyder wants to do. One thing Quinn, I thought, did a great job in, in the preseason despite their 2-2 two and two and they lost their first, road, two, first two road games. I think each player uh, that the Jazz brought in actually got a, a really good shot at showing what they could do. And sometimes players come into camp only as, you know, practice players. But most of these guys, all of them, but we're, we're able to get on the floor and at least have a shot to show the Jazz what they could do, and I, I, I'm sure they were happy about that. Uh, that's where the, the Malik Fitz young man uh, actually, I think, turned a few heads as well. And he's got that body, uh, DJ and PK, that you talk about in small ball at 6'8". That's kind of where the league is. Uh, that's kind of where they're going, where it's positionless basketball. But He's uh, he's turned a few heads, and that's that's what you want. You want a coach and a coaching staff and an organization to take a look at the young players that come in and give them an actual shot of uh, showing what they can do. Well, Bowler, we appreciate the time. What's the maple bar, bar called? What did I learn? Today? Uh, it's a caramel long john. Caramel long john. All right. Well, yeah, so when something. I was a kid, you know, my mom would go to the grocery store and say, "Hey, I'm home." And she'd bring in old fashions and bring in the caramel long john. I always and they used to have cream filling in it. You know, like an icing. Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. 
And the old fashioned was one of those that if you know, you know, you dunk that in a, a little milk, yeah, and then yeah. you know you sit back and go watch your morning cartoons. And man, you're you're ready to roll. Life is good, right? Life was real good. Yeah. All right, Bull. Stones, the Jetsons. <laughs> you know, Scooby Doo. Oh, the other one was Johnny Quest. No, then Johnny Quest blew. That was terrible. I couldn't get into that. You didn't like Johnny Quest? No, no. Scooby Doo was my brother's show. No, the classics, man. Dad would watch the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner hour with me. That was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roadrunner. I felt bad for the old uh, Coyote man. He went over the cliff every time, but he always got back up. I always think about him when the Spurs come to town. Well, more likely when they go to the Spurs. That's what I agree. Yeah, yeah. All right. Absolutely. We'll see you, Bowler. We appreciate right, it. Talk man. to you next Enjoy week. Us. Enjoy the day. All right. Next time we talk to Craig Bowlerjack, the season will be underway. We talk to him morning after the season opener next Wednesday night against Oklahoma City. All right. DJ and PK, David Smoke, host of Sikkim 365 Radio. He is going to join us in 15 minutes to talk BYU and Baylor. We are getting a lot of feedback about the Jazz, new unis, new colors. People are weighing in. We will tell you what they are saying next. And Ann hit it right, hit the nail right on the head. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Friday is presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Question of the morning. The Jazz going to be wearing black and white. What do you think? Who cares? Can't even watch the games. Thanks, Dish. Nate sent that in earlier. That is getting a ton of likes. A lot of people, priority one, seeing the game. Oh, for sure. That would suck if you don't have it. Absolutely. Bart says, what do I think? Not much. But maybe it's time for a change. Seems like something we get about every uh, five years-ish. Yeah, I think the bigger thing is that Ryan Smith is willing to take some chances, do some different things, and I think that bodes well because I think that, you know, they have some disadvantages being in Salt Lake. I think those disadvantages are dropping by the day, and that may be an exaggeration, but just give me some poetic license here for a minute. And with him being an owner who is willing to be cutting edge, that bodes well for the team remaining to be competitive because you can have all the whistles and balloons and strings or whatever that phrase is. Bells and whistles is what you're looking for. Yeah, thank you. You can have all that (laughs) Balloons and strings. I I I like it. You know, if you have a string and no balloon and you have balloon and no string, you're in trouble. Well, then you don't have either. I mean, you, you can have a string, but if you don't have the balloon on the end of it, it's up in the sky. And then the dolphins are in trouble, and we don't want that. So what we want is this team to be competitive 
as many years as possible as you can go. You know, with the statues, they made the playoffs, what, 19, 20 years in a row, whatever it was. And some of those years you were more competitive just simply making the playoffs doesn't make you competitive to win the title. But I think that's everyone's goal. And I think that's Ryan Smith's goal, too. It's part of his what he envisions happening here. Uh, but I think that the willing to do creative stuff is only going to help. Doesn't mean you're going to hit a home run on all of them by any stretch. Doesn't mean that at all. But the product on the floor is what counts the most. And I and I think that young players are going to be drawn to that. And they still got to draft them and, and do all those things. But then you got to retain them. And so you got to have your ducks in a row. And if you have that, then you're doing the right thing repeatedly, that leads to success out on the floor. It's the old uh, thing, a couple, was it two summers ago now, with the uh, uh, last dance and the players win the, win the titles or the ownership does. Mm-hmm. Well, I think both are right. I think you have to have both. You can't have one without the other. You have to have the management who gets the players, and then it's up to the players to get it done for sure. So I think, in a sense, I don't really care what their colors are. They can do whatever they want. I wasn't born and raised here, so I don't have any attachment to any logo or whatnot. I have a big attachment to the success on the floor, and I think that with him willing to go out uh, – out on the limb i don't even know if that's the right thing to say but willing to try stuff bodes well for the ultimate objective which is to be competitive on the floor well i think that when you move that debate uh to its most important sphere because there you know there's lots of things uh, but i think the biggest thing in the nba is the trade when you have a very good team and you have one of the top two three four teams in the league but you don't have the number one team Will you make the bold trade and risk everything? It might drop you to eight. It might raise you up to number one. And this has been a team that really hasn't rolled the dice that often. And when they have made the trade, it was a slam dunk. I don't know. Maybe Jordan Clarkson. Is that going too far? Was Jordan Clarkson a slam dunk? Oh, no. It, a it turned out to be. That might be a better example, even though they were trading a rotation guy for a rotation guy. As opposed to trading a starter for a starter, which I think to, you know you have to go way back to find that. Well, they gave up a number five pick; those are precious. Yes, but that but he number was five pick didn't work. Yeah. But Clarkson worked and is working. Yes, obviously you make that trade a hundred percent of the times. All right, DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone coming up next. Baylor five and one, future Big Twelve opponent, future Big Twelve rival, post possibly. David Smoke, host on Sikkim three sixty-five radio, joins us next to talk BYU and Baylor. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. We're joined now by David Smoke, host on Sikkim three sixty-five radio. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now Pay Letter promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. David, good morning. How are we doing in Utah? We are doing quite well. We are very intrigued by this game. A couple of 5-1 and one teams ready to face off. And a lot has been made here of uh, Jeff Grimes, former BYU offensive coordinator, going to Baylor, and now the teams know each other and recognize each other's offense. On film, right down in some of the finer points, they've all had Jeff Grimes yell something across the practice field about details or in a film session, so they've all got that ringing in their ears. 
From the Baylor perspective, how much of a difference has he made? Well, uh, the, the numbers, the stats, the results, they say it all. Um, and Eric Mateos as well, uh, bringing what he brought uh, as an offensive line coach because those two basically are like they think on the same page. And and I, I, I cannot explain, and I don't know what happens this weekend or going forward because their schedule will be uh, a tough little uh, slate coming up, you know, with what they have, including with Brigham Young. But last year they could not run the ball at all. I mean, I honestly, they had, I think after the third game this year, uh, maybe in the fourth game this year, they had as much yards rushing as they had all of last year. Now they played nine games. And, and they weren't involved. They were two and seven. They could not run the ball. They could not make a push. They could not get a third and one. They could not get a fourth and one. And they surely weren't going to get a third down in six or seven. And they just didn't have anything. And it was just a mess. And I don't know if it was because of the lack of spring drills, because of talent, because of uh, a disconnect between Joe Wickline, the previous offensive line coach. I don't know. But, you know, they're, they're five and one. They're a win away. And I know that. When you start to be good as a program, uh, under the run that they had under Art Bryles, uh, the first year they became bowl eligible in 2010 was a big deal because it had been 17 years. But they've also had 1-11 and and 2-7 and recently, and so getting bowl eligible is a big deal, and that's what they're one to win away from. And, and I, I think that's the next step. Now, they want to do much more than that, and the whole thing comes down to the fact that Abram Smith, they moved him from linebacker to running back, uh, they needed that, that one cut, that wide zone type mentality. They have the talent in Tristan Ebner, uh, Tristan, Tristan Ebner, excuse me, who could get loose in anything. But I mean, it's been huge. A- Abram Smith's averaging over seven yards a carry. Uh, he, um, it, it's, it's mind boggling. Now they, they have to do it week in and week out, but it is mind boggling. Oklahoma State kind of roughed them up a little bit two weeks ago, but they have a very, very good front against the run. They they still broke a long run on fourth down with Abram Smith going, I think, 54 yards. But that combination, it's been a breath of fresh air, and I think everyone's thrilled with what they've seen considering they're only six games into what they're doing, although he's been around since early January. I love the fact that through these six games, the quarterback has had zero interceptions. That just stands out big time, taking care of the ball. And my thought for you, you're seeing all the throws. How much are they trying to get it downfield? Is it a bunch of safe passes? What's the reason why he has no interceptions? Well, I, I think a lot of it is, one, the protection's better, although he's been hit. And he's one of those that will stay in the pocket, Gary Bohannon, until like somebody basically knocks him down. In some cases, you almost wish that he would take off and run. And that's another big change, that they've changed it up because the running game then protects the quarterback in the passing game. He's thrown it around now, and he's had maybe a tip pass or two where he might have gotten fortunate. He's thrown it deep. Last week, they had a big, quick 75-yard touchdown, but it was probably more of a 15-, 20-yard play. Taekwon Thornton against Florida. Uh, turned it, and then boom, he's gone. But they've thrown it deep, and, and that's also a breath of fresh air because they rarely could do that last year as well. Charlie Brewer was not going to be somebody that could sling it you know, consistently across the field uh, on deep outs where he's not going to be able to hit too many post patterns. He did early in his career at Baylor, but then just started taking so many hits and, and then also the lack of running game and protection. But Gary Bohannon can make most every throw. I mean, that's, that's, that's an immediate change this year as well. And, and, and that's also helped Jeff Grimes in, in what they're doing on offense. But 
Yeah, it, it, I didn't even realize that. You know, I really now the Baylor will also defensively they'll force some turnovers. They'll get some picks. There's no question. But I didn't even realize that until somebody brought that up. I'm like, what? But you know, Gary, this is really the first time he's ever had numerous snaps. So he was part of a Matt Rule team on occasion that would come in and do a short yardage. Everyone thought of him more as a wildcat guy. And I mean, they they have at times been able to kind of I don't want to say. Uh, the word is not dummy down the offense because that's unfair to carry. That's not it at all. They've just kind of been very careful, but then they've opened it up on occasion. And, you know, we know that's that's going to change. I mean, they, that, that's an impossible stat. But, yeah, he can make all the throws. He, he's got some weapons. They now have the, the emergence of the transfer from Dartmouth and Drew Estrada, the Ivy League guy who was not really a healthy early in the year. He gives them another possession receiver. They've got the deep threat in Tyquan Thornton and R.J. Sneed. Uh, it's not like they throw a lot of deep passes, but last week they started to open it up. and They've opened it up a little bit before, but that's a crazy stat and a, an incredible stat for a guy that really hasn't played much football entering this season. So just looking at the stats, I mean, they've got five guys in the receiving core who, including their tight end, uh, excuse excluding their tight end, he's the one guy of the top six receivers who doesn't have a forty-yard play. And you say they don't throw it deep much. So, is it a bigger deal for them going over the top, or is it a bigger deal for them to hit on short and medium passes, and then the other team doesn't tackle well, takes a poor angle, whatever, and they break a big play off that? They've done that. R.J. Sneed uh, in a game earlier this year caught like a quick little out, got a block, broke a tackle, and went. I want to think 70-plus yards, whatever it might have been. I can't remember the exact distance. Uh, and what I loved about it is you saw guys running downfield with him, making blocks. Any long play, running play, or passing play, there's going to be a wide receiver most likely, unless it's just one of those fourth-and-one short-yarded situations where you break the line of scrimmage and you're gone. Uh, the, the play last week to Tyquan Thornton uh, was, a again, like a 15- or 20-yard throw. He turns, gets away, gone. They've hit the deep post to Tyquan Thornton as well. Uh, ben Sims, the tight end, has caught a few passes in that 30-plus range. In fact, had one, I think, last week in, in, in the win that they had against West Virginia. They can air it out. He can throw the deep post. He can throw the deep fade. But it's not like when, when they had that, that constant just scare the hell out of your defense and secondary by throwing it over the top under the, the years of Art Bryles. This has been more of a pro-style offense, just like Brigham Young. And they have receivers who have become dynamic after the catch. And last year, other than R.J. Snead, Tyquan Thornton was pretty much not even existent. Uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact they just couldn't get him the ball. And, and so now they've got guys. And, and, and yet, you know, that's kind of like turnovers on the defensive side. It's kind of contagious. It's, it's become contagious. Now everybody wants to be that guy that goes 50-60. Of course, everybody does. But it's, if you get one of those, two of those early in the year where you actually catch what is a 60, 70 yard touchdown, but it's a 50 yard run after the catch, that becomes contagious. And I think that's happened as well. They'll throw it over the top, but they just don't live and die with that. When I look at an offensive coordinator who's an old offensive lineman, it doesn't really surprise me that they're able to run the ball because that's what those guys want to do. And I look at both of these guys, the top two running backs, they're having all sorts of success there. 
uh, how much do you think that it's just the philosophy versus what they had last year that is leading them to have success at running the game, running the ball? They had uh, they they they've had two transfers. Grant Miller, young man, came in, uh, you know, a, a transfer from Vanderbilt, and then they uh, Jacob Gall came in from Buffalo. And everyone knows Buffalo last year had one of the best rushing attacks in the country. Their coach now at Kansas, and he brought a couple of linemen with him to KU. I, I think the combination of an offensive coordinator who's an offensive line coach and his running buddy, Eric Mateos, at the same time, uh, and they went to the wide zone. Uh, and, and it's given, and they found the people who can run it. They, that they've taken what they have as offensive linemen. Now, they had to change a lot, and including what people had to do. They got a left tackle, and Connor Galvin is really, really good. And they have a couple of transfers who are, you know, grown men. Uh, that have come in and given them a little oomph as well. And, and then other guys just got better. I remember having a conversation. It might have been either during or after spring drills with Eric Mateos. I said, tell me, in, in, you know, some coaches, it's weird. They come in and they don't even watch film for the previous year. They don't want to see bad habits. They don't want to have any kind of uh, freak uh, misconceptions or whatever. He told me he did not think last year or the line that they had after spring drills was a talent issue. He thought it was just a commitment issue. Like some of these guys had their clocks ticking. The left guard in Xavier Newman has been hanging around. He had to play early as a freshman when they had that 1-11 team. I mean, he's like an 18-, 19-year-old kid playing college football on the offensive line, which is basically unheard of. And he thought it was more of a commitment issue. In other words, they had to get tougher. They also, and they, they changed strength and conditioning, Coach. That makes a difference as well. There's just something about that. You know, some guys can get to players and some can't. And then also on top of that, those, some of these offensive linemen were just kind of there. And I think Mateos was able to kind of get inside their head, some of it psychological, some of it with you learn how to coach individuals differently, and they've just kind of become pretty good. Uh, and, and now the wide zone that, that changes up, uh, people run it. It's not like that's new, but it's different. And it, it's, it's, it's allowed what they have with who they have, which maybe they weren't able to just overpower people with what they had. Now they can get the defense kind of sliding, have the cut back, the one cut with Ebner or uh, with uh, uh, Abram Smith, and it's working. I, I, I think Jeff Grimes' mentality, what is it? Um, uh he wants it to be violent. He wants the offense. He used that word as a term. I can't remember what it was, but it's violent. And when I heard him say that, now sometimes coaches say that. That doesn't mean you can do that. But that's what we never, whoever covered Baylor or covered Baylor as an opponent, whatever, there was no violence. The defense played that way, but the offense just had nothing. It was almost like a pillow fight. And that's not to be negative and try to be critical of young men, but it was almost the way they played on the offensive line, they were manhandled, and it was kind of like they just had nothing. No oomph at all. Grimes came in and said, that's not going to happen anymore. We're going to change it. And along with Mateos, that's what they've done. Yeah, we've heard that about teams that throw the ball a lot. Uh, when you're pass blocking, you're not that aggressive. You're not that violent. He likes the uh, phrase, R, the letters RVO, reliably yeah. violent offense. Yeah, reliant, Yeah, right, exactly right. He said that very early. We had him on right after he was hired. And when I heard that, I was like, I just like the sound of that. Now, hey, listen, we we weren't sure. We watched spring drills, and there were still some hits and misses, and, and there's going to be times they run into a brick wall. Well, now they have a quarterback who can air it out a little bit more, 
And, and, and you got, again, they've made some changes. Two new transfers, grown men come in to help you with your depth and even starters on the offensive line. You take a linebacker who was an all-state running back at West Texas at, at Abilene High School. You move him from what was running back to linebacker, and then somebody says, we need somebody that can run this type of offense at the back position other than Tristan Ebner. They lost John Levitt to Penn State, who would have been perfect for this. And they, you know, that's a coaching decision. That's noticing what you might have. And also someone went to Dave Aranda and said, you know Abram Smith played running back in high school, had like 5,000 yards. For them to make that decision, he's having a very good start to this season, was also a great coaching decision as well. David Smoke joining us, host on Sikkim 365 Radio. This Baylor defense in a sport where 30 points is an average number for an offense to score, they've given up 29. That's a season high in a 31-29 win over Iowa State. They've given up a little less than 18 points a game, which is 21st in the country. What is going to be the biggest problem here for the BYU offense to solve with the Baylor defense? They're really, really fast. Uh, and again, sometimes size beats speed. Sometimes speed overwhelms size. So that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I uh, they they pick off passes. They they bring people from different angles. Uh, they have that kind of hybrid. I they I, they call it like the jack position. Heck, it might be called the star. It's a star position. You know, everybody has their own little terminology for kind of that hybrid linebacker safety position. Uh, they're they're really very disruptive. They have a defensive a nose tackle uh, in, in Siaka Ika. He came in. He's a transfer from LSU, 350-whatever-you-want-to-call-him-pound guy that started the last two games to make some plays. Made a huge play against Iowa State, a deflection for an interception, but he had a couple of sacks last week, and they went against West Virginia and got really disruptive. He kind of is the motor. Now, Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie, 2-8, uh, and eight, they're the ones that really are, are the big play guys that, that really are the ones you have to worry about because they're both coming from different angles. But the big nose tackle inside, you guys know that. If you have somebody that can kind of help control or take up some people inside, that lets everybody else, especially if you have speed run. They have a ball hawk secondary. That doesn't mean they haven't been beaten. Uh, they did get pushed around by Oklahoma State, who ran the ball right at them and hurt them quite a bit. In fact, beat them up in the first half. But I think that's kind of challenged in a lot of ways, kind of their manhood. And I think that they, they had to watch that the, the next day, and I think that kind of helped them get uh, kind of fired up for what they had to do against West Virginia, who has struggled running the ball, and they struggled against Baylor as well. Brigham Young established the line of scrimmage. We know that's what it is. It's, it's, like, it's not a mirror image of what both teams are doing, but it's very similar. To me, whoever can run the ball most effectively, uh, obviously there's always the intangibles, but against the Baylor defense, they did – Iowa State ran the ball well. Brees Hall, who's an All-American type guy, ran the ball pretty well. Oklahoma State ran the ball pretty well. So if Brigham Young can get that, and they've got the running back that we know is so solid, just kind of a grinder. Uh, so to me, that's what Brigham Young's going to have to be able to do, because if you do that, then, then maybe then Hall can, can make the throws he needs to make uh, wherever he or whoever is playing the quarterback position this week to make the plays that they need to make to what are uh, – and Dave Aranda mentioned this – uh, a deep set of wide receivers, so it's going to be fun. I, I think it's a. I think this is going to be a knockdown, drag out football game that might actually have some points in it. But I, I think that's Brigham Young's got to be able to establish a running game. And last week, West Virginia couldn't do that. So, what's going to be a bigger attraction Saturday afternoon in Waco? BYU, Baylor, or Magnolia Way? 
Oh, my God. I'll tell you this. In, in 2010, when I arrived in Waco, and I've been through Waco, done games here before, uh, you know, it really was a city that struggled. And there's been things that have happened here that have not been great. Um, and then RG3 comes along. And Brittany Grider in that 40-0 women's basketball team, and she's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime player. And it, it kind of brought some energy to this city. But uh, honestly, wherever I would travel, like every year I'm fortunate to go do the show for a week, wherever the Super Bowl's played. And, and I remember the first time I was on the road, the first Super Bowl I covered when I got here in 2010, you know, there was a few people that brought up a couple of the tragedies in Waco. The next year I traveled, they said, hey, tell us about RG3 and Brittany Grider. Now wherever I go, tell us about Chip and Joanna and, and the silos and Magnolia. And, I mean, it is... It has re it has energized the, the 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 sports athletic teams at Baylor in the early parts of the 2010 uh, decade energized the city brought some people from Waco that maybe were always kind of felt separated from Baylor they always called it back in the day the Baylor Baylor bubble it brought the community get people love to see people win people love dynamic players well there's not much more dynamic than Robert Griffin the uh, third who's broadcasting the game this weekend and Brittany Griner who's in the WNBA Finals. But business-wise, the facelift of Waco, Texas, McLean Stadium, for example, which is you know was built and started in 2014, and, and what they've done downtown Waco, and they got a lot of work to do, and the construction up and down 35, which runs right through the spine of the city, is just a mess. But the, that business, what they've done has completely changed the face of downtown Waco, and now that is as big a distraction as anything that has. And there's others, but that one right there, no question, it's made a big difference in Waco's economy. I don't think I can help the economy in this area. Maybe I'll be there for some games one day. I might be able to help that way. Magnolia Lane isn't going to do it for me. It's a it's a it's a hard place to get into, and if you walk it, you walk up to it, and there's these two big like metal silos that just stick right out of the ground, and they've turned that thing into a business. It's like so, and of course the TV shows and stuff like that. It's incredible. If they put their name on a toilet, they'll sell it. it, it it's uh, I mean it's 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 insane, and in, in a good way. And uh, people have flocked from all over the place. It's amazing. And because of that, then, of course, you have to build more hotels. And there's 55 more hotels, it seems like, that were here than 10 years ago. It's, it's fun. I'll tell you what, Waco's had a lot of bad things. Waco takes a lot of shots. It's not what anyway. someone hasn't been here in five or six years, they would be blown away by what they see now, other than, again, the, the constant construction on I-35, which is a disaster. <laughs> All right, David, we'll leave it there. We appreciate you joining the show once again and looking forward to the Big 12 and talking to you again down the road. Let me tell you something, guys, and I mean this sincerely. Our talk show back at the end of July when all that went down with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC, our talk show on YouTube exploded, and a lot of it had to do with the Big 12 trying to survive. And I'm telling you right now, it is everybody. So many people are thrilled with Brigham Young being a part of the Big 12, basically almost like now, like Cincinnati now. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's something yeah. that I think this weekend is almost a celebration in a way. First time they played since 84, and also the factor on the schedule the same year that the all heck broke loose. I, uh, I think it's great. I, I talked to Grant Tapp, the former Baylor coach, about the last time they played in 83 and 84, 
Uh, this is this is going to be a, a celebration. I don't know who wins. Going to be a hell of a game, but I do know this. I think everyone really, really looks forward to the best non-conference game they've had at McLean Stadium or in Waco in a long, long time. And the fact that Brigham Young is going to be a part of the conference, people are thrilled with it. David, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again down the thank road. You. Enjoy the game. You too. David Smoke, host on Sikkim 365 Radio. And, PK, it is not an exaggeration to say this is the best non-conference game they've had in this stadium. They haven't lost a non-conference game in a decade. TCU got them. Uh, but basically, they, they play uh, smaller teams from Texas. They know they're going to beat. I think Duke has been their big intersectional game in the last decade. So it'll be a big deal, and it's got the added intrigue of this is going to be a conference game down the line. Isn't that just, I don't know what the right word is, ironic, but how timely yeah, when timely. you schedule this series that this is going to be what it's going to occur in a couple of years and they make the big announcement over the summer, or I guess it was in September, and going forward there they're going to be. And I think, I think the Big 12 is revitalized. It's basically, all right, Oklahoma, Texas, you don't want to be here, get out. Now they've got to keep them, you know, to make sure that they get the money and they'll figure that all out. But I think the folks, and this is from a distance, but just listening to him talk, uh, that the folks are really excited about the programs coming in because they're all, to one degree or another, big-time programs. It's not like, let's face it, Colorado was a big-time program, and Utah was on the verge. And to it, you could argue that they were because uh, they'd had some undefeated seasons in football we're speaking of, and basketball had been pretty good. But you're bringing in these four programs that they're all recognizable. So basically, it, it's I, I, I think the Big 12 would just as soon let Oklahoma and Texas go as long as they give them their money because money talks and then get these programs in as soon as possible and get on with it because I think it has the potential to be exciting. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show coming up next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a trip to the Lone Star State for the Cougars as BYU heads to wake up for a massive showdown against Baylor as the Cougars look to knock off a future Big 12 opponent. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I came into the season thinking that I was just going to be able to play ball, you know, be able to use my talent uh, to continue to uh, you know, inspire, influence people in the right way. Like putting this on me is just like, why are you putting it on me? You know, like this, this is not part of, you know, what's going on in conversations with scientists, physicians and doctors. I'm, I'm just a hooper, right? Like I'm, I'm just a person who, who's being utilized as, as an example. For some odd reason, you know, people love to have my name in the mix of just some BS. That is Kyrie Irving. People love to have his name in the mix on some BS. The flat earth stuff, that was a big deal. Him being critical of LeBron James, that was a big deal. Maybe I'm forgetting other big deals, but when I hear Kyrie Irving, that's the stuff that jumps out to me. Oh, there was some social justice stuff last year that was weighing him down, listening to him talk about that too. Right now, 
He's now playing for the Nets. We'll see where this goes as the season gets closer. The Jazz are opening up Wednesday night. They finished off the preseason schedule, just four games now. Used to be eight, but they've slimmed that down in the NBA. So they've played their four games. They beat the Bucks last night. Jordan Butler with another impressive it's, game. It's Jared Butler. Jared Butler, Jordan. sorry. Jared Butler with 16 points, seven assists. And his spot in rotation, what... What's that going to look like? How is this going to work? I think we all expect Mike Conley to sit back-to-backs. That's going to open up some playing time. You never know what's going to happen in NBA season with injuries and all that kind of stuff. So there's something out there for him. And obviously it'll be harder to look good in the regular season than it does in in the uh, preseason. Why is that obvious? Because the level of play goes up. The level of intensity goes up. Okay, but that doesn't mean his level of play doesn't go up. It's harder. I don't know that it's obvious. It's, it's harder. I just it doesn't mean he won't do it, but it'll be harder. Uh, yeah, I'm so intrigued by this kid. You think he's and, just going to clear that barrier? No worries. I'm intrigued by him. Intriguement means I don't know it, uh, but if he demands playing time, then he has to get it. If he demands playing time, I expect he will. Not by not just saying, I demand playing time. No, <laughs> no but by the way what, he yeah. defends, by the way he scores, by the way he passes the ball and spaces in the offense and all the other stuff they're demanding he does. The way he rebounds, whole, everybody's got a board. The whole goal is to win here. There is no sense of entitlement, I don't think. So maybe he's not good enough. Maybe he is. Maybe he's the rare second rounder. And it's not that rare. There are guys out there. Uh, that that a play, so I'm just so intrigued. I don't know. I can't say. Maybe it will be too hard. Maybe it won't be. <laughs> One of the things we'll find out. Now they don't have to rush him and give him 30 minutes right off the bat by any stretch. I'm certainly not saying that, but it's it's a storyline, and we love storylines. And I just as soon have him light it up in the preseason because then it becomes a story of what can he do. And I agree with you, obviously, when it counts, it's just very – it's absolutely that. It counts, whereas before it didn't count near as much. And, you know, going against second-teamers, third-teamers, guys who will not be in the league, I understand all that. Uh, but it's a storyline, and we're in the business of stories. And the whole regular season is not created the same. You know, it is possible for a rookie to come in and look good against the bottom quarter or third of the league or the bottom half of the league. You know, matchups matter. Quality opposition matters. And whatever you've done, you haven't gone through an 82-game NBA season. Just uh, the time. At, at some point, guys get worn out. Now we'll see how many minutes he's playing. Maybe he won't get that worn out, depending on how they use him and, and what his play demands. Do you think he wins rookie of the year? No. You're such a downer. <laughs> Who cares if he wins Rookie of the Year or not? Do that means think, he's really good if he you, wins Rookie of the Year. What uh, do you rookie, mean? Who of the cares? Year. rookie of the Year goes to someone who already has a big-time name, who goes to a team that isn't very good, where they get lots of touches and lots of shots. If he wins Rookie of the Year, then that is awesome because the thing is stacked against him from day one. A second-round exactly. draft pick going to a good team, I don't think he's going to win Rookie of the Year. If you did in that situation, then that would say something because you went off. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that it's a bad team. You had Simmons and Mitchell a few years back. They weren't bad teams. This team is, should be even better than those teams, though. Agreed.
So that makes it even harder. Well, and what what we're not saying is here here is obviously Butler should be better than Mitchell too. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm intrigued because I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but it could play out really well. I mean, you see the stuff, you want to get your hopes up, and then you got to tell yourself, okay, this is preseason games. Do not get out over your skis here. How long before you think he's a full-time starter? Uh, two weeks. <laughs> two? No. Man, you're stretching it out. <laughs> oh, you're going one, huh? <laughs> well, do they have three games or four I, games? I don't really week? care about the, the starter. <laughs> I think the thing you need to judge guys by is how many minutes do they play and do they finish games? I'd be surprised if he finished games early. I'm looking for too. him to make a contribution. Can he make a contribution? Can it be a small contribution to start? And then can it grow? That's the thing I'm looking at. Is it possible? Maybe it's not, but it's certainly one of the things I want to follow. And the other storyline for the Jazz is Rudy Gay, and that one's just on hold here through the preseason. It'll be on hold in the start of the regular season. When does he come back from the heel injury and the surgery, and when is he ready to go, and what does that look like? What are the combinations he plays in? How does he get used? How good is he in this system? Everybody's got high hopes there, but we're all waiting to see it. He's not even on my mind right now because really? he's not available. Yeah, okay. He's not. He's not available. So why have him on? Because well, he's well, wait till they get available. Rudy Gay back. And <laughs> when he comes back, he comes back, and then I'll see what he can do. But for now, I'm not worried about it because they got games to play in six days, and they got games to win starting in six days. At six days, and Rudy Gay can't help them. So I'm not worried or thinking about Rudy Gay right now. When he comes back, sure. But they still got games, and they count. So you're going to have to win without him. Oklahoma City at home Wednesday night at Sacramento Friday for the road opener. Two and very winnable games, you would think, wouldn't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. with or without Rudy Gay. I would think that those are both lottery teams. Um, now, the lottery's got a different definition here, and we've got you know spots 9 and 10 open for some version of the postseason, but you get the point. You think those two teams are bottom half of the West, and you would think the Jazz would win those games. All right, we got uh, games tonight. We don't have the uh, the Jazz tonight, but we got the NFL. Tom Brady and the Bucks taking on the Eagles. Brady with a thumb injury. He's expected to play anyway. Eagles are off to a two and three start. The NFC East doesn't look very good. Dallas, however, after last year's disaster that division, Dallas has got Prescott back, so they look like they're ready to run away with that thing. The Eagles are flying around five hundred, and the Bucks. Have one loss. The Rams got them. But other than that, the defending champs are pretty much picking up where they left off. How bad is the thumb? How will Brady look? And even when you win a lot, you win a lot of close games. We saw Tampa Bay just barely win at New England a couple weeks ago. They won, but, man, it went right down to the end, even though, again, good team playing a mediocre team, or maybe even worse than that. Yeah, nothing Brady does now surprises me. 620 on Fox in the NFL Network tonight for the Bucks and the Eagles. And then about 45 minutes later, Dodgers-Giants game five. Giants were one game better in the regular season, so they won the division. They've got the home field for whatever that is worth tonight. They will be uh, at AT&T right there by the bay, all packed with people wearing orange and black, cheering for them. But it's one game, and there's a ton of pressure, and anything could happen. I don't think that the home field matters. I think the opportunity, if it comes to that, to bat last, to have 
defining strategy, meaning you full know if you get to the ninth, tenth, whatever it might be, that you only have uh, one run to score. You know, the Dodgers in the top of the ninth or top of whatever. You know, they want to score the run, but who's to say the Giants don't come back? Whereas if you know definitively what you need, rather than the field itself, I don't think it's the fact that you can bat last. And the thing about baseball, we've seen it so many times, is some no-name dude comes up with a big hit. And that's the great thing about it, is that it, it could be somebody who's hitting two twenty. But he swings the ball at the bat, swings the bat at the ball, and and there it goes. You know, and so, a legend can be made tonight. Something that we'll be talking about fifty years from now. Maybe not. It's not like every game in this situation that's the case. Yeah, but, but that would suck if we got some eight to two game that basically felt like it was over in the third inning. You want the tension? Oh, for sure, drama. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's what baseball has is that in between pitches and so forth, and he fouls off five in a row, and the t- and you see the people in the stands and they're in praying motions, uh, their body language is all tense and all that. That's fun. All right, DJ and PK, it's ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. Your feedback next, and you are weighing in on what colors the Jazz should be wearing. We will get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Well, PK, we have talked college football, big games, BYU and Baylor, Utah and Arizona State. The Jazz wrap up the preseason with Jared Butler. Looking like he could have a big impact on a team that we really didn't think necessarily needed someone to come in and provide that kind of impact. But if he's that good, it can't hurt. We got all this stuff, and people want to talk about what color uniforms the Jazz are wearing. Ryan, I guess I'm old. I hate it. Hate it? (laughs) Don't sugarcoat it, Ryan. Give it to us straight. We can handle it. Haven't seen it, so I don't know whether to hate it or not. Probably won't hate it. Not sure yet. Not sure I even like how it's being done. Seems kind of secret-like in a way. I don't know about that. I mean, they're going to, if they do it, whatever they do, however they do it, they'll announce it when it's there and it's available. Jake says, death taxes and a new jazz color scheme. Yeah, we've been through a few of them. Three things you can count on, huh? Exactly. Death taxes and a new jazz color scheme. What they haven't worn yet, PK, is brown. The Wyoming Cowboys, the San Diego Padres, it's a short list. Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns. The St. Louis Browns back in the day apparently wore brown. Uh, you got the Niners have some brown in there, don't they? Uh, gold, but they've tweaked with the shade of gold, so I can see why people would say brown. Jeff says, oh, the colors are fine because we're always doing that. Logo and name are classic and well-known by sports fans around the world. Let's not fix something that's not broken there. Yeah, but I think that Ryan Smith is doing things to bring attention to the team and community, and that's probably some degree of uh, reason behind doing whatever they might decide to do and, and, in fact, do. I'm not sure what that is, but it draws attention and it brings people into the mindset of Utah, Salt Lake, the Jazz, all those types of things. Uh, R. Paul 10 says, I don't care. I would rather they change the name. Jazz has never made sense to me since it doesn't fit our city slash state. 
Yeah, but that's why they should keep it, because it doesn't make sense. Curtis says, let's get a saxophone on the jersey. Enough of the jazz musical note. The sax, huh? The sax. The joy of sax. Jazz Viking says we should rebrand the city, the jersey colors, the red, rock, orange. That was it. It was nice. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if I want to rebrand it, rebrand it exclusively or, or primarily, but it was good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed them. Just a guy says, I don't give a bleep. I only care about an entertaining product and being competitive. That's your guy right there, PK. Wear whatever colors you like, but please tell me the team's good. Well, I think that's, to me, that's like 90%. I don't discount what they wear because I think we all have our personal choice favorites. So I have to see what it is to say I don't completely care. I probably won't care because I don't think it's going to be that outrageous or distasteful to the point where I think, what are they doing? So I'll probably roll with it and just say, all right, that's okay, and then move quickly on to how good's the team, who they playing tonight, that type of thing. Jim says, I don't care, but I'm 66 years old. Just win a championship before I'm in the home. <laughs> Jim, man, he's got a timeline. So Let's go. You're, when you're in the home, you won't appreciate it as much. You might appreciate it more well, because he, you're homebound. He doesn't know. He may or may not be able to enjoy it. You're right. He might. But he might not. I thought you were going to say in the ground. I didn't think he was going to go home. <laughs> he went home. I'm reading it. Yeah. It's on Twitter. You can check my mentions. <laughs> I'm not editing him. Uh, and then we saw, like we've seen with the Cubs and the Red Sox, that the descendants and the people living went and honored the people who have passed straight, when the team did win. Straight to the grave. Yeah. Very touching. Joseph says, who cares, comma, all caps, just win, double exclamation point. That's the thing is, whatever they wear will be iconic if they win it all wearing it. <laughs> then, then people will love it. They'll associate it with the winning. It could be some oh, lousy sure. scheme you and I draw, draw up. It'd be horrible. Everyone at Magnolia, what's that called, Magnolia Lane? Well, Magnolia, Magnolia Way. Magnolia Way. Call it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody Magnolia Fixer Way, Upper is the TV reality show deal they got going on. Yeah. They have a collection called Magnolia Lane Collection, I found out recently. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right, Hans and Scotty will continue the discussion next. Stay with us. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.